Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. My name is Nick. That is Chris. And it is the 5th of August of 2020. Mm-hmm. We are... Well, I mean, we weren't away last week. We did we did a Q&A episode. Yep. It was fun. We got mm-hmm. to do some interesting brain exercises. And we got to decide what the pervious manga that we talk about is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we we haven't uh, we didn't have any manga to recap last week, although technically we did. But we saved them for this time. Yeah, got a whole so, lot of them. That means we've got a large amount of manga to talk about this week. Yep, which means I have a large anecdote to start this episode with. That That is how we always do it. It is always proportional. It's like we, if we've got no manga to talk about, we're just like, let's just get into it and get out of here. But if we're like, dude, we're going to be here for three hours as is. That, nope. I've got a 10-minute story to start. Got a whole big thing. This is a long shaggy dog tale, as they call them, which I believe is because shaggy dogs are so fun and you love listening to it. Uh, So recently, uh, a new piece of content was put out and I was greatly drawn to it. And this is an elaborate plug that you should go check out Jump Jump Date by Nick. You got to put the plugs at the start of the episode. I was waiting for the subvert. I was waiting for the subversion uh, when you started nope. introducing that one. It was pure and so honest. Just like, started like uh, here we go. Let me just brace for it. Oh, oh he actually just. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, nope. it's an honest thing. I would highly recommend go checking it out, guys. Uh, I do wish that I hadn't made the tweet that I did because the reference I made, I did not expect one member of that to have admitted to murder earlier today. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I haven't referenced Marty Jannetty in a very long time, but two days after I did, he admitted to murdering people. And the funny thing is that the way that he did it is kind of the way that I would expect you would do it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like if it was like this guy reminds me of the time that I murdered a guy. Anyway, <laughs> they never found that body. They should have looked in the lake. You're like, Marty, what's happening? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did not like pay. I did not look any more into that story when it broke. I was just like, well, okay. I was. <laughs> <That's> cu- <crazy. laughs> I was curious why Marty Jannetty was my top trending topic for a little bit. And then I was, I was like, I was like, oh, I hope nothing bad happened to him. I hope that he didn't, you know, like catch the virus or something like that. And it's like, oh, I kind of wish that he had maybe. <laughs> You're like, never mind. He's insane on Facebook. I hope insane. I hope insane on Facebook and not just like, I don't know. I guess he's like statue of limitations are up, brother. I killed a man. <laughs> pretty sure with murder that there is no statute <laughs> limitations um but I, I i mean one of the takes that i saw about it was from uh there's a podcast i listen to uh, uh called osw review and one of the hosts said like i think this is just a cry for attention uh which and all and even if it's not given some of the stuff that is in marginalized history of just weird crazy behavior and drug abuse and stuff i do think that it's it, 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 maybe we shouldn't all just conclude like, yeah, he definitely murdered a guy because he randomly said that he did yeah. on social media. Uh, but that said, at the same time, if something comes out that, yeah, he murdered a guy, it's like, oh, well, OK. You know what? Makes yes. sense. Regardless of whether it's true or not. Yeah, he, <laughs> it was weird he, timing on your part. He might just be looking to get in some of that dark side of the ring money. I don't know. I don't know if they really pay that well, but maybe he's like. That's the ticket. That's how I bounce back. Snooker's career took off after that episode. <laughs> like, what, what you, he's been dead for like six years. I know, but he's getting that them afterlife uh, residu- residuals. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, we actually do have a lot, but before you... Hey, if you're listening to this podcast, you haven't checked out Jump Date, pause this episode right now and go check it out. If you have been listening to Weekly Manga Recap, but maybe you even had like a little bit of a time when you just kind of had a bit of a lapse, and you're like, oh, what, what's been going on in the past few months that I haven't been listening? It's a good way to kind of catch up, uh, because the format of the series, which I started doing last month, well, two months ago, actually, um, is basically just I go over like stuff that has happened in Weekly Shonen Jump over the past several months and just kind of summarize it all in one handy little video, give some opinions on it. And it's, you know, a way to kind of get an overall impression of all the various series that have ended and have started and stuff like that without having to go chapter by chapter through our through our backlog if you don't have time for that. But at the same time, if you rush that video and are like, huh. Well, he said this interesting stuff about the Promised Neverland. How did he come to that realization? Well, there is a catalog of every single chapter we, of the entire series. We have talked about all of them, and you can listen to every episode of Weekly Manga Recap 2. Do both. <laughs> Give us more <laughs> listens and views. There you go. Uh, with that out of the way, we have a lot of manga to talk about today. We are going to start things off with talking briefly about a series that... I think that we can safely say we are just going to add to our repertoire. We're going to add to the regular recap uh, shortly. Uh, it is a series that has been available through um, the Manga Plus service uh, for the past month or so-ish, uh, but has also been brought over to the Shonen Jump service on Viz.com. Uh-huh. It's called Kaiju Number 8. It is a Shonen action story. Premise-wise, it's somewhere between uh, Attack on Titan, Gantz, and um, what's the, what's another one I'm thinking of with like monster hunting? I forget. Uh, but tone-wise, it is completely different from those two. It is much more traditionally uh, action shown in uh, with a, a lot of humor thrown in. Uh, basically, there it's set in like basically modern day Japan. Kaiju regularly attack giant monsters like Godzilla kind of regularly attack. Uh, it's also a little bit world trigger. That was what I was thinking of. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can see that. Uh, and our main character is this guy who was part of the Kaiju cleanup service, which is a very interesting detail to kick things off with when a giant monster is defeated by the towns, uh, by the city's defense forces, it leaves behind a massive goddamn body full of like, radioactive parts that have made this horrifying monster and so there is a specially specialized team to dispose of the body break it down and get rid of it safely and our main character kafka uh is one of the members of that team he's 32 years old so and he had previously wanted to be part of the defense force that defends the city against kaiju but he kept on flunking out of the test and eventually he just kind of gave up because he didn't think that he was going to be able to make it but one day, uh, a newbie on the team who is also going considering uh, joining the defense force uh, joins up with them. Uh, a kind of hanger on from the monster that they're cleaning up appears and attacks them. And Kafka protects him and manages to protect him long enough that uh, they're able to survive until the defense force saves their asses. And uh, then it turns out that Kafka somehow swallows a thing that turns him into a kaiju. Uh, it's a miniature kaiju. It's basically just like, you know, he's more like 10 feet tall as opposed to yeah. 10 hundred feet tall. Uh, but he has, you know, like super strength and stuff. 
And so this happens just as he is getting the uh, encouragement from the newbie Ichikawa to try out for the defense force again. He's just young enough that he can scrape in under the uh, maximum age limit uh, to join the defense force. And so he's going to try out for it and give it one last go. And so we're actually in the midst in the series right now of the two of them going out and trying out for this. Uh, and they're taking the test. Uh, and it's a very fun series so far. Um, it's a pretty straightforward battle series, but there's enough character and humor and stuff to it that I think that there's going to be enough to talk about week to week. So, yeah, there's, there's absolutely a ton of stuff going on. Um, I think there's some, some, some intriguing elements in there. I don't think, I I know some people are, are heralding this as an, an incredible series already. I don't know if I'm ready to to go quite that far yet but what i've seen is definitely pleasant I, i've liked some of the stuff um and i'm curious to see more it does hit a little hard that his whole like character is like oh i'm so old i'm about to be too old to even do this i'm like he's like two years older than me like one in a couple months honestly i think so that hurts I but uh i guess uh it, it was a moment where i was like I guess my NFL dreams are finally over. <laughs> not, not that I didn't spend like 16 years playing football before this or something like that. But I was just like, oh, I guess it's all over, old, old Bean. Yeah. Um, it, it, I did get that impression a couple of times. And it is kind of really weird that he keeps on getting called an old man <laughs> by all the people around him. It's like, he's He's only in his thirties, like, but he's like, "Oh man, I guess it's just all downhill from here." I mean, I, I can't keep up with these with these physically fit younger people anymore. And so I'm like, "Ugh!" I'm like, "Oh man, stop it! Stop reminding me of mortal." <laughs> but uh, it's an interesting series, yep. and uh, I, I, I've dug it so far. So, so we are probably going to be actually adding that proper to the recap next week. Maybe we'll replace something else. Maybe we'll see. Who knows? It could be anything. It could be any of the series that we resent talking about every week. <laughs> it could be any mission abled series, you know? <laughs> any one of our family could be removed. It's a real Yoza crapshoot, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I was going to try and go for some intricate thing about a tree or something like that. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're getting rid of Dr. We are going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the one person. Like, no! <laughs> it consistently gives us joy. <laughs> yeah, let's just get rid of that one. <laughs> get rid of it. I'm out of here. Let's go into My Hero Academia to start off the recap proper. Chapter 279. League of Villains versus UA Students. We kick things off with this big two-page color spread. Uh, it, it looks like a like a poster, basically. A uh-huh. bunch of uh, people associated with UA while Deku is jumping and he's wearing a suit. I think that the uh, they actually had like promotion that was similar to this for something that they were doing for My Hero very recently. So I don't know if that's continuing this or what. But yeah. Uh, it's 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 a cool uh, shot, and you know everyone's kind of wearing these these kind of cool dress uh, outfits and stuff. It's very nice. So this chapter is about Yairozu's group, 
implementing her plan to try and stop the rampaging Gigantomachia. So they try and do that. We get a little bit of a recap at the start of just like, here's all the characters who are involved in this effort. Here's a little bit of the preparation that they're doing. Like they've got Mudman softening the ground in front of Gigantomachia's path. Mineta's got a bunch of his sticky balls laid out as traps and stuff. They're using Tokage, the lizard lady that Chris hates uh, because she got talked up so much and then she got her shit kicked in by Bakugo. Oh, uh, that's who that is. She, they've got her body separated out so that they can use her eyes to scout ahead um, and while her mouth is hanging back to report, which is a cool way, way of uh, utilizing that ability, I think. Um, kind of unnecessary, given that you've got Shoji who can just put eyes anywhere, but whatever. So, <laughs> uh, they basically say like, okay, I've got this very distilled sedative. So if we just get a single vial into his mouth, that should sedate him. Normally it's supposed to be injected, but this should work too. So that's their plan. If they're going to try and slow down Gigantomachia and get some of these vials into his mouth. So, uh, Gigantomachia stumbles into the giant mud pool, uh, and they all immediately just go in on him, trying with, with their vials, trying to, uh, combine their abilities to hold him down and to open up his mouth and stuff, uh, to get, get these vials in, in there. There are a lot of instances of just like stuff is happening and it is hard to follow. Um, like there are certain characters that are like yanking down on, uh, I can't even remember her name, the vine hair girls, uh, hair whip things in order to try and tug down Gigantomachia's jaw. And I can't tell who some of them are because there's not a lot of detail in some of them. Uh, there is one instance where, uh, Jiro tries to maneuver one of her speakers on her earphone jack, uh, up towards where the villains are. Dobby spots it and blasts it with fire, uh, which means that he needs to die now because uh, he hurt her. So, yeah, I know that there's that whole thing about the mystery of like, hey, is he like Endeavor's uh, lost son? Is he like, is he Shoto's brothers? I don't care. He can die and we can never find out. That's that's, <laughs> that's just um, the way it goes. If you hurt her, that's how your narrative goes. has to go. Yeah. yeah. That does have to really hurt when you think about it. If they're like an extension of her ear. Just imagine part of your ear just being burned by fire. Ugh. I assume any part um, of your body being burned by fire would probably hurt. Except the... Well, yeah, well, but like, I would rather well, have that, my you know ear what? burned. <laughs> you say that, one testicle you have is fireproof, so I guess that one wouldn't be so bad. Every, Nick, this is, a, this is a known fact. Every guy has one fireproof testicle. Now, it's different on different guys. So the only way you're going to know is <laughs> by taking a lighter to one of them. <laughs> if it's not the one, then it's the other. But you should probably test the other one, too, just to be safe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know what the grand plan of this machination is. But it's out there now. So, yeah, someone's dealing with it. Uh, the... Uh, scientific theories propagated by the host of this show do not reflect the, the uh, my knowledge espoused by Weekly Manga Recap. And <laughs> um, more stuff happens. Um, 
Kaminari gets set up to try and shock everyone. He like lays out his targets on all of them, but before he can actually unleash his electricity, um, Mr. Compressor just like boulders and knocks him out of the sky. Um, a bunch more people try and throw uh, vials of the sedative into Gigantamachia's mouth while they finally got it open, and. Um, he breathes on them and blows them all away, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious. Like, no. <laughs> so um, that doesn't really work. Dobby cuts them all off with fire afterwards, which uh, Toga observes seems to have really fucked him up using that amount of his fire. Um, and uh, now they're like a lot of their the heroes plans are just kind of completely cut off because there's this massive wave of fire separating them. Uh Gigantomachia is still uh, stuck in the mud. Yayorosu explodes some bombs that she put under the softened ground so that Gigantomachia sinks even further. And they're like, okay, we, we, we've still got a chance. And Spinner points out, oh, hey, Gigantomachia could just dig underground. And Mr. Chris is like, yeah, but that'll kill us. Because <laughs> we're riding on his back. <laughs> so... That doesn't happen. Mount Lady, who had kind of fallen behind uh, before, manages to catch up with Gigantomachia again and just tackles him to the ground and starts prying his mouth open, which is pretty badass because she realizes what's going on. And uh, so she's like, come on, say ah! And at that moment, Ashido comes rushing in. She's got her big uh, acid man armor wrapped around her body, and she seems to be the only one who can make her way through the fire. Uh, because she's the one who can summon protection against it. So uh, that's where we leave off with this chapter. So, Yeah, um, so there's going to be a little bit of a theme this week where I wasn't really crazy on this chapter. Um, mm-hmm. the, the concept behind it I love. I, 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 I'm absolutely behind the idea of Gigantomachia is, is out there. The League of Villains are starting to turn to tides. This 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 line of big heroes has kind of been breached, and it's up to the youngest kids at the school to try to find some way to slow this guy down. Not to stop him, not to defeat him, just to kind of slow him down. And they all have to kind of work together. It's it's a very exciting premise. And this obviously also adds the context of why we spent the whole time in the the class versus class battle, because those characters are relevant here. Uh, But despite all that, the simple fact is, even though we saw all the characters of Class 1B, I still don't care about them. Like, I still don't know who most of them are outside of what their power is and kind of a vague personality detail about some of them. This could have been, I think, a cool opportunity to show off, like all of class 1A, and then maybe I'd be like, look, if nothing else, I have to care about Sugar Man, right? I mean, he's like one of like eight characters who are here. Uh, but because there's the whole section of both classes, I found it kind of hard to connect to a lot of the characters, which kind of killed a lot of the the momentum for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wish I could have liked this chapter more, but I I just couldn't get into it the same way I wanted to. I get what you mean. Um, it's already kind of a big ask to say, like, there's 20 people in this class. So get used to knowing who all of them are. Um, it's a much bigger stretch to say 
there's 40 people in these two classes. Get used to knowing who all of them are. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, we're not often asked to do that. Uh, and I think that personally, I would have been fine with just knowing who Monoma, Tetsu, 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 and um, uh, Kendo were. And then just by the fact that she was in the finals of the uh, the sports festival, Thornhair Girl, too. Uh, and then all the rest of them are just like, they're there. They're there. You know? fan, fan fiction writers have more have, can, can involve exactly. themselves with these characters. If uh, now instead of just being limited to your Kirishima slash Tetsu 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 fan fiction, now you can write your I don't know your uh, Tokage slash um, Ojiro fan fiction. They they interacted once, yeah, maybe sure. <laughs> if not, they passed each other in a hallway at some point. Let's write a seventeen okay. chapter story about that. And I'm not I'm not shading presents. on that by the way. They they were both present at that interclass battle, so uh -huh. they were in the same place at the same time. They probably looked at each other once. So, do you think that are... that's more than can be said for a lot of ships that I've seen? So, do you think there are is like a, a separate contingent of shippers for characters who have definitively never met each other before in series? I like, don't know about. Cont you mean like people who like deliver like it's well just i mean like out pairings that have had no interaction i just mean like is is it like a different classification for them like are they like i'm the I, i'm the the outsider of fanshipper uh. because i'm like you know i like boba fett and kylo ren and i'm like pretty sure boba fett was i guess he came back at some point so maybe that's not the best example grand moff tarkin and Kylo Ren. We are like, one of these characters was dead before the other one was born. <laughs> so I Yeah, but he was in a movie that was between two of Kylo Ren's movies, so... <laughs> so it works! <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but chronologically, right. I mean, our, our, okay. <laughs> um, I do know that it is a common practice to tag things like airship or like crack ship you know like to specifically say like yeah this is a weird pairing but yeah i don't know i don't know chris i've never 100 percent understood all of the shipping practices like i remember when i was in high school not understanding why zutara was so popular so <laughs> feel like that one's kind of self-evident nick come on i mean thematically it, it is shipping bait but in terms of like the amount of shipping it was getting based off of all of their interactions being amounted to a few sentences exchanged and Katara kicking Zuko's ass a few times after he kidnapped her a few times. Um, didn't really get it. Anyway, let's talk about actage, Chris. Yeah, let's uh, talk about actage. Scene 122. Greeting. I thought you uh, said Chainsaw Man. Can we go to Chainsaw Man? We'll get to it soon. Damn. All uh, right. It's the... It's the final day of the girls stay in Kamakura. Uh, so Satsuki reads from the script again. Uh, Kay is observing her and she's like, yeah, OK, I can tell that she, her acting is beginning to evolve. She's, you know, less tense now and her natural charm is actually coming out while she is observing Satsuki. Ren is like Kay is already trying to integrate Satsuki's character into her own. 
this was the entire reason that she wanted Satsuki to be the one that we focused on was so that then she could absorb that the way that she has absorbed people around her in preparation for this role already. And so as Ren is looking at Kay, she thinks to herself, she devours the people in her orbit like a monster. Now, Chris, my main problem with this chapter is that this line, which is an incredible line, is framed with Kay just sitting there in her Tasmanian devil shirt, looking calmly over at Satsuki. This seems like it would be a perfect time to have, you know, like an aura around Kay or like some <laughs> crazy visual of her, like with giant demonic horns and a forked tongue or something like that. And she's got people in cages that she's going to dip into her mouth or something like that. That's the kind of thing that I come to show and expecting to see for regular things like this. And for a line as dramatic as she devours the people in her orbit like a monster, for that to just have Kate just being there like, hmm, it's a bit of a letdown. <laughs> so. It is. Uh, it also kind of sounds a little odd. I guess there's there's characters like an ice shield that, that were kind of built up like this. Like, oh, they take the opponent of their, uh, the technique of their opponents. They're like animals like that. I was like, I mean, I guess it's pretty normal. Like if you you're in like the arts, if you find a technique someone use, you're like, oh, I can enhance my own. You know what? It's fine. It's it's fine. She's a, she's a monster. Well, Ren's a weirdo too. Is the thing. So yeah, I guess I guess I should be going to the source on this. She's also insane, so it's it's fair, yeah. I guess. They're all crazy in different ways, and I think that the older that their craziness correlates with their age as well. So. Uh-huh. Uh, they go to the beach for a bit. Uh, Satsuki is actually looking around for like a souvenir for, to give to her mom. Um, and while they're waiting for her, Ren says like, I know that you're, you know, using Satsuki to develop your character. And Kay's like, well, aren't you doing that too? And she's like, nah, I'm not that skillful. So Kay's like, well, why did you come to Kamakura with us? I mean, our plan was to base our characters on Satsuki. So why did you come along with us for this? And Ren says, Oh, you're worried about me. Well, you're underestimating me, too. I know what you're trying to do. I know that you and Kuriyama are plotting to have you steal the, the spotlight from me because you're going to show up before I do in the drama series. But I'm not going to let that happen. And Kay's like, well, if you knew that the whole time, why have you been playing along like this? And Ren, and Ren just says, because I'm your senpai. And so basically she's demonstrating to Kay that she is not threatened by her at all. Hmm. It's a nice little uh, showdown between them uh, without being overly aggressive. So. So. Satsuki is a little bit hesitant to go back to Tokyo because she's worried about facing uh, Manami. Uh, but Ren's like, OK, well, I've got an idea for how what we can do before we get head home. So let's go pay our respects to uh, Manami's grave. Uh, because it's apparently like the anniversary of her death. So they go to visit her grave uh, that's nearby. Uh, there's already a bunch of tributes laid out for a whole ton of flowers because she is this incredibly beloved figure in all of Japan. Uh, Kay thinks a little bit about how, what she knows of Manami Yakushiji because she's like, yeah, there were films of her, hers in our closet. And it's weird that, you know, they they were these old black and white films, but they were also so dazzling and they were also comforting 
and there's all that kind of to live up to. It's our job to portray her. Uh, Satsuki still has her hands clasped after Kay is thinking about all of this. And so Kay thinks that she is uh, praying, but instead Satsuki says, I'm apologizing because it feels rude of me to play such a great actor, even though we have never met. Uh, <clears throat> but Ren says, well, hey, her family, her staff all approved the project. They've chosen you to entrust with this. So you understand that, right? And Satsuki's like, yeah, but she hasn't accepted me, referring to Mami Yakushiji, Minami's daughter. And Kate just says, yeah, so that's where we're going to pull off your plan to make her recognize you and accept that. And right after they have that agreement, Mami Yakushiji shows up at her mother's grave. And she just, you know, she greets them and then she calmly walks past them. She observes that it seems kind of meaningless for her to be offering flowers here because everyone always comes and offers a ton of flowers to her. Uh, and then she says in a way that is kind of dickish, but kind of not. It's almost like one of those things where it's like it's dickish because you don't realize that it's dickish mm -hmm. and you don't care enough to choose your words carefully. Yeah. So she says, people have no principles anymore. It must be hard on you girls, too. Everything gets turned into a TV series or movie or a taiga drama. You are being written into history as if any actor in this world could play you. And then Kay just points out rightfully, like, I heard you approve the project. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have given anything for this moment for M mommy to turn around and be like, yes, because I like money. <laughs> money works. Cream, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but she says yes, and Kate asks why. And Mommy turns, and she walks past them again and leaves the cemetery and doesn't say anything. Like a rude asshole. <laughs> but Ren just says, hey, Sasuke, don't worry. We're going to show her what modern actors can do. So I quite like this chapter Overall, I really love how big of an asshole mommy is in this. She's because she's like, you can tell it's not like malevolent. It's just she yeah. thinks so little of them that they are beneath her caring if she's being rude to them or not. And it's such a more unlikable trait than if she were going out of her way to put them down because then you could think like oh well maybe she's actually trying to motivate them in some ways no she does not care <laughs> for some <laughs> fucking reason so yeah there, there's there's some fun points here this is ultimately what kind of feels like a little bit of a build-up chapter as we're kind of getting ready to enter into the actual arc itself since we're pretty much finished now with all the the training now comes time to, to actually get into the the acting yeah so i guess we're gonna see how that goes and i i assume that we're going to actually get a bit focusing on satsuki first because it's going to be up to her to realize the oh. character of manami first and then yep. we're going to have to see how k and ren carry that on so and it's going to and you know i it's it is interesting to have these kind of woven together stories of like Satsuki and the other actresses versus uh, Mami and K versus Ren going on. So there's the cooperation between the three of them and also the competition between Ren and K. So mm -hmm. 
All right, let's move on to a slightly older chapter, because this one came out last week. Spy Family, Chapter 30. I believe we're on Spy Family. Yeah, 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 yep, yep, Spy Family. So we are introduced to a new character, Fiona Frost, which... (laughs) Thank God that's a code name, because, oh my God, that is... (laughs) I mean, that's like something that I would expect to show up well, no, it's not quite it's not quite on the nose enough to to be a She-Ra character name, given that the ice character in that was just Frosta. But <laughs> it's it's something like that. You, it's like an 80s toy uh, character. Name. Oh, yeah. This that would be like a like a G.I. Joe character. They were I mean, they already had one woman. Why would they make another one? But if they needed another one for the group, they would have made. Yeah. Uh, Fiona Frost. And she is the been... cold lady. Mm hmm. Uh, Fiona is not, um, she's not like a a winter, uh, tactician or anything like that. She is cold personally. Uh, and so as, but she has basically been assigned to, by the handler to meet up with Lloyd and to inform him of a certain development. And then they're going to have to work out a plan together. And, uh, so she asks about like, oh, by the way, how's the operation proceeding? And the handler just says, eh, slowly, but it was always intended to be a long-term thing. And Fiona's like, well, I'm sorry. If I'd been available earlier, I could have done so much more. I could have been, you know, I could have been part of the operation in the wife role. And like, well, I mean, it, things are fine. Like, the forgers have a good relationship with all their neighbors. We're, we're, we're content with the family as is. So just focus on your own duties. And <laughs> Fiona's just like, but if the forger wife were to abandon the role... There would be no choice, would there? <laughs> like, it's a little bit obvious what you're implicating there. Um, but so she walks off, and we are introduced to Fiona by her proper code name, Nightfall. Which, well, isn't that a little well? Bit there's on the nose. Yeah. We got Twilight, Nightfall, Twilight, Daybreak. Nightfall. Yeah, I'm waiting for someone just named like the end of the day to show up. <laughs> Night- hey, Nick, you know what Closing they say? Closing time is my code <laughs> Oh, that theme song has to follow them everywhere. <laughs> they, they walk into a room and people are just like, does anyone else hear four chords going on? <laughs> well, Nick, you know what they say? Fiona Wright. At the end of the day, it's nighttime. <laughs> <laughs> is that what they say, Chris? <laughs> I mean, I don't it's, not wrong. it's not wrong. It's not wrong. All right. So <laughs> Fiona arrives at the at the forger's household. Your answers the door. And uh, she says, like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm from the hospital and uh, from Dr. Forger's workplace. And your daughter left this when she visited there. And she's got she's got Anya's magnifying glass. Like, oh, that's not a nice, a nice little uh, uh, detail there because she was in her detective outfit when uh, she was visiting the hospital. But uh, so she comes inside. Your serves her some tea while and uh, Lloyd and Anya are out currently. Um, and. Fiona is immediately judging your to be like, I mean, if you're an impediment to this operation, I'm going to have you removed and stuff. She and then immediately she's like, what if I try and just 
sabotage her personally? Like, what if I just cast down to her mind and make her feel really bad and make her want to leave and just she she's very mean. Is yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, Lloyd arrives back. They he was taking uh, Bond for walkies along with Anya. Anya arrives and says Anya is in the house. That's because... how that's how you generally introduce yourself when you come in the house, right? Your own house, <laughs> not to mention. So, of course, Lloyd recognizes uh, Fiona. And uh, so he realizes, oh, something, something important must have come up. And uh, they have a conversation while, where they're mouthing different words than what they're speaking out loud, which must must be incredibly weird to witness from the outside, because like that's not how your mouth shapes those words. How? Uh, all right. Um. Of course, Anya immediately realizes that Fiona is a spy. Uh, and then she again is trying to like cast doubt onto the onto your like, she can't be part of the mission. She can't be part of the mission while talking to Lloyd about stuff, which it starts to aggravate Lloyd clearly because at the, at the, the way that he explains it to her is like, you're kind of overstepping your bounds by trying to pry yourself into this situation. That's not your job. Um, but, and Anya is, uh, is observing between them as they're having this conversation because she can of course hear it. And then she's like, what's going on with her? And then she reads Fiona's mind and Fiona's entire existence is defined by the thought, agent twilight, I love you. And this is like, not subtle to, to put it mildly. <laughs> It's just giant characters on a black background as Fiona stares blankly at Lloyd and Anya like rubs her eyes to look again. And I love you <laughs> multiple hearts. Uh, and Fiona's like, how can she not? How can he not see that? I would be the perfect for this role as his wife. And I and I would show him how great that I that I am at everything. And then eventually he'll, he'll see, oh, I want to marry you for the sake of world peace. And then. Oh, uh, I'll give and she'll be like, I'll give my heart and soul to you. And I don't mean just to the mission. And yes, yes, I want to be his wife. And there'll be she's just got this whole like wedding fantasy playing out in her mind while she's staring coldly and blankly at Lloyd. Anya realizes this and realizes that this is going to be a problem shortly afterward because Fiona is looking around the household and she's like Anya needs to be whipped into shape. She's not getting any, you know, medals and she's a poorly behaved child. Uh, so she just imagines like going full hardcore military on her and like whipping her literally into shape. So Anya is like, I can't let this happen. And she goes over to your and wraps her arms around her. It's like, I love you so much. Purr. I don't know exactly how she makes the purr sound effect, but she goes purr, which greatly touches your, of course. Fiona's like, Anya, I have this imported yummy cocoa. Would you like some? And Anya, instead of purring at her, goes. Hisses like a cat, Nick. Yeah. Maybe that's why she likes dogs, Chris, is because oh, she's a cat. Mm. That doesn't yeah. blend. But yeah. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't it. track at all whatsoever. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Uh, so Lloyd's just like, Anya, go, go play with Bond for a while. And so 
And Anya's like, oh, I'm so happy that I have a papa and mama who love each other and my precious bond. I'm so glad I get to be a forger. I'm so lucky. I'm the luckiest girl in the world, the whole world. And Yor is so touched by this display of affection from her adopted daughter that she's like, oh, I'm going to work so hard for this family. I'm going to do so much. And Lloyd's like, okay, okay. And Fiona's like, oh, come on. This is ridiculous. And then he looks at at uh, she looks at Lloyd as he says, you already work hard enough. And he's got this kind of slight smile on his face. And of course this deeply touches you are too. And Fiona's observing this and she recalls back to her training to when Lloyd was her trainer and she got to know twilight through very many different uh, disguises and incarnations. And she says, I know that masterful fake smile of his and I can see a tiny hint of real emotion seeping out from beneath it. And so she gets upset, of course. And so she very quickly excuses herself. She's like, I've got to go buy some potatoes until she leaves. Lloyd, of course, detects that something is wrong. And is like, she forgot her umbrella. I'm going to go walk her to the station. So he races out to, to go after her. And uh, so he catches up with her quickly and Fiona says, oh, by the way, your handler assigned me to partner with you on the next mission. And he says, why are you, why didn't you tell me something so important before? And she turns to face him and she is visibly upset at this point. And she 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 kind of pulls a much less heartbreaking uh, Roy Mustang because she's like, I'm thankful for the rain for hiding my emotions <laughs> because we're spies living in a world of shadows because my beloved trainer taught me to until the day that this Cold War ends to hide my emotions. But even just being your cover story wife would be enough. I want to be by your side on our joint mission. I'll show you how capable I truly am. I'll make you realize that I'm the only one fit to be your wife. So... A new character has arrived that could potentially jeopardize everything. Uh -huh. uh, and once more, it is not for completely nefarious reasons. It is out of a loving instinct. That's a very different kind than we saw from Yuri with Yor. And uh, a kind that I am much more comfortable with because it's like, okay, this girl is actually romantically in love with Lloyd. And she's just got a really weird personality about it. Um I, I did like this chapter. I thought that Anya was really good in it. Uh -huh. uh, and I think that this is an interesting wrench to throw into how things are going on. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I, it. it looks like we're going to be maybe set up for a small little arc here, too, where she's going to be around doing this mission with Lloyd. And mm -hmm. I, I know some people are upset because it's sort of a character showing up to more or less be like a romantic wrench into things, but because that is part of the crux of this whole thing is that Lloyd needs to maintain a cover of having a wife and a kid. Mm -hmm. This seems like a reasonable thing to throw in there. I do like that there's a very distinct divide using Anya's power between what everyone else thinks about her and what Anya can clearly see is like, oh my god, all this chick cares about is like, she loves my dad, that's it. And she's going to she's going to beat me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's there's some humor in there. There's some fun. I, I, I think I'm I think I'm pretty excited to see where this character kind of goes. I think there's a ton of room for it. And uh, I'm pretty excited to see it. There's a nice little detail where uh, Yora is serving everyone coffee and she puts all this cream in. Uh, she, 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 she provides milk for for your uh, she provides milk for Lloyd, rather. 
And Fiona's like, ah, that's not how he tr- takes his coffee. And then he pours it into his coffee immediately. And he's just like, oh, God, yeah, this will. Uh, I I really I should, might need to switch to decaf because, you know, this has been affecting my stomach and stuff. And it's like he's changed a, a bit, uh-huh. possibly because he's just getting older. But because yours has been around, she now knows that aspect of him better than someone who was around with him before they got together. It's just a nice little thing, even if it's not like a romance thing. It's yeah. Showing that I've actually gotten closer and gotten to know each other better. So, no, I completely agree. I, I liked it a lot. Um. Nick, you got two chapters of Eden Zero to get through. Yes, we do. Let me get my phone because I I don't have a flash on my new browser. Gotcha. Well, on, I don't I don't know why you wouldn't. It's it's the thing everyone uses. Uh, let's talk about Eden Zero 104 first. The woman they call pirate. So this chapter is all about Elsie Crimson, and this chapter is simultaneously is simultaneously about absolutely nothing, but can't be just skipped over, except it kind of can. We're going to get to it. So, Elsie, <laughs> Elsie's in this chapter. That's such a confusing way of, say, of putting it, but I can't disagree with it on any <laughs> It's like, you're right. It's, there is essential information included in this. Uh, so, I'm just going to call her Urza. Fuck Elsie. Urza starts this chapter because it's an Urza chapter in the bath, and there's a bunch of fan service shots how she basically says, well, you can never know a person better than you would if you nakedly bond with them. That's a thing. And she's I mean, like, that is how Urza would act sometimes in fairy tales. So. Yep. So Homura stands up and is like, I've heard of your fame. I want to fight you. Yep, she has boobs. There's one shot that literally, like, the camera's, like, looking up from below her boobs up to her face. Elsie Urza is like, hey, I'm go for it. You're ready to fight me. I'm not moving. It's just a duel, right? So Pomora swings, and Urza catches it with her toes. Just lifts up a foot, puts no effort in, and catches the blade. Chris, I think that this is... I, I, I can't be certain of this because I've never seen this before, but I think this is a fetish. Um, I don't have any evidence to back that up, but hmm. I think that catching a sword being swung at you with your toes is a fetish. I'm not sure, but the way this is drawn, I am certain it is. So, <laughs> Well, Nick, the only way for us to be truly certain is if we go to the Celebrity Feet database and type sword into the search bar to see how many pictures come up. Please don't that- do that. Unless you're in defeat. Um, I, I, I just want to say before we move on past this scene, uh, I know that uh, when we talked about the last time we talked about Ayakashi Triangle, you made the observation of like, wouldn't you have like finished by now? Because mm-hmm. there were just so many pages of fan service in it. This one begins with three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine pages where there is fan service of some form or another. Nine pages! Like, how much do you need? <laughs> I, I guess a lot. Well, Nick, some of it's action, of course. Don't forget. So, uh... Elsie. Uh, I'll call her Elsie. How about that? Elsie wins. Definitively. Beats she her... Patch, therefore she's not her so. Yeah, that is true. Just f- beats her with her foot. Alone. Nothing else. Uh... Tamora has to begin like groveling at her feet. 
there's a whole comment that, you know, uh, Rebecca has like, well, I've never seen anyone grovel naked before. Well, don't worry. I'm sure we'll see it again in this series. And then er Elsie has the great line, Hamor, was it? You're a good fighter. She says after beating her with her foot. <laughs> like, can you imagine if they did that in wrestling? If some dude just walked out and fucking squashed a dude in 15 seconds, it was like, hell of a match, brother. Hell of a match. I think uh, that there was one. Okay, so a little bit of a little bit of a wrestling tangent. So one of my favorite things that happened uh, during uh, John Moxley's run in New Japan was that uh, he showed up and uh, he did his uh, this this match after he had won like the United States Championship uh, and. He just had a squash match against this young lion, this trainee named named Shota Umino. And what happened was Umino uh, actually kicked his ass for a little bit because he just, you know, f attacked him out of the gate, cut him off guard and got in a few moves. And then Moxley cut him off and beat him up and killed him and, you know, beat him in like less than four minutes, basically. But because of that big fight that he gave him at the very beginning, Moxley's like, I like this guy. And so he just literally pulled his like half unconscious body up off of the ground and like put his arm over his shoulders and was like, you're with me now. And he pulls him backstage and he's like, during this tour that we're going on, I'm going to be in a lot of tag team matches. You're going to be my tag team partner. And he called and he started calling him shooter. And it was this really beautiful thing because it started off as this, these two guys who just met as foes and slowly they actually got closer and became seemingly friends slash mentor and trainee kind of thing. But what did not happen in that match <laughs> was Umino was like, I'm going to use my finisher. And Moxley raised his foot and caught it in his toes and then flipped him on his ass and made Umino grovel before him. Like, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> there are ways to do a one sided defeat other than. I did not show any semblance of strength or skill or technique. And I was begging for mercy. By the yeah, end of it. <laughs> I got defeated without you having to stand up. But hey, great fighter. Uh, so they, they exit the path. Shiki's there. There's some jokes. Hey, Shiki wants to know what she knows about Ziggy. So it's time for the actual plot stuff of which there's some, but nothing but a lot. So they go to the big <laughs> meeting room. Elsie explains how she's a refugee from war. She was picked up by Ziggy. Uh, she's like, yeah, I was even on the ship when you were a baby. I changed your diapers. Uh, there was a whole big thing. And uh, Ziggy knew the, the spirit of my heart and basically had me promise to take care of this ship until the day that you were going to go out into space. And they're like, oh, oh how did like that happen like I, I i can't believe you were that strong and they're like oh well it's because even as a child i was strong enough to fight valkyrie evenly and you're like cool just get also back urza back in this series 100 percent and there's two dudes i don't know one dude has no eyes and the other dude has too much shit going on with his head they're there and talking about <laughs> how I don't know where they came from. They're just there and they're talking about her backstory, how she's super strong, but she has, of course, a fatal flaw that she can't work technology, which is like, you know, that kind of like makes her even, you know, 
No, um, it doesn't. <laughs> well, no, Nick, it creates a real fatal flaw, except uh, because she couldn't figure out how a ship worked. She started running out of food, so she just stole from everybody. And that's why people called her a pirate. So she sucks, and she's bad at life. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that detail actually does make her a little bit more likable. Because it's just like, yeah, she's just so bad at managing herself that she had to steal from other people to survive. And that's why she's a pirate. It's like, that's actually a nice little eccentric detail about her. But everything else is just like... Well, fuck you. I said, oh, oh, when I was five years old, I could fight all these Valkyries. Yeah, that's how strong I am. It's like, like oh. uh, so then they're like, hey, and I that's be- before I use one of my 10,000 suits of armor. Oh, yeah, I'm waiting for it. Yeah, she's basically, as Anthony is saying, the Kirisu of Eden Zero, where it's like, I'm beautiful and competent and skilled, but apparently anything that requires me to uh, like continue my natural human life is impossible for me to naturally do uh she basically explains how she knew ziggy was going to attack how she she left a little fairy there and she actually visited the grave herself first and she was like that's not ziggy there there's dark evil ether inside of him dark ether yeah dark ether so uh, there is also a little bit about Pino being built and how they think Pino took the pod originally to escape and that that's maybe where her memories are damaged. So they'll, they'll figure it out at some point. But uh, the last thing the little fairy heard when Ziggy woke up is Ziggy was like, I will go see mother. And that's it. She she just leaves. Um, so bye, guys. <laughs> we have a flashback to before she left. <laughs> Which I don't understand the timing of that at all. To her basically saying, hey, I'm going after Ziggy. I owe him my life. I hope you will come with me. And then we cut to the present again for them to be like, that's what we're going to do. And that's what they go to do in this chapter. Leading us to the next chapter, chapter 105, Dragonfall. So... They see Dragonfall. It's a bunch of big dragons that run in the big strip. Basically, uh, it's the it's the calm belt. You can't sail directly into the Grand Line because then the the Sea Kings will kill you. So uh, you can't just go into the Sakura Cosmos, or else the dragons will destroy you. Except they've already been destroyed by presumably the Eden's One. It looks like it has the same energy signature. Shut them. So yeah. yeah. So all the dragons are dead. So yeah. You know, kind of easy you don't really have to do anything when you think about it we just drive through all these oh, wait, bunch of them are alive. okay, okay. <laughs> yeah there's some that are still alive so they're like all right everybody get into a battle position and uh, apparently to do that you have to put on skin tight body suits uh so hamora is trying Which- to sorry cup every last aspect of your body individually uh-huh. because you know yeah, well, that's yeah. That's well, only, do. only for the women. The men can have like a, a little bit yeah, more relaxed yeah. ones. Yeah, why not? Yeah. You can. Yeah. You can. <laughs> the guys get to wear sweatpants. The girls <laughs> have to wear thongs. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on, guys have had it so tough in this universe, you know. Uh, so Hamora's trying to shoot. The door open. <laughs> <laughs> Hamora's trying to shoot, and Jin just basically mansplains the gutter. He's like, get out of my way. <laughs> just starts firing. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. 
I don't know why I had to do it at the expense of Hamora. He, he marks mansplains. Yeah, he, he marks mansplains. Uh, just takes over the gunner. Uh, Hamora's like, uh, hey, you. And he's like, I, I'm forgiving you. You're a bad person. You hurt my sister. And then Clean goes up and says, no, she's the best. She didn't do anything wrong. Draco Joe's the one who did bad things. So you should forgive her. And then Jin's like, I forgive you. And then Hamora's like, sister complex. Oops. So there's one in every series now, Nick. If you were worried there weren't enough sister complex brothers in manga today, don't worry. Eden Zero has you covered. Yep. Eden Zero, it's got one of everything, at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of everything. None of them are good. One of everything. Just <laughs> wait until. I'll give Hero some credit. I haven't seen any. Uh... I only learned about this because I've been uh, I've been catching up on uh, Poddigis as uh, as a companion to uh, to Digimon 2020, and uh, they brought up uh, slavery isekai in one of the more recent episodes, which I was like, I didn't know that was a thing. Apparently, there's like an entire subgenre of isekai which basically puts the protagonist in a position in this society where slavery is accepted, where they have to become a slave master. And it's like, well, actually, there's some good aspects of this. And I was like, that's a thing. (laughs) It's like not just like an occasional occurrence. It's like an actual theme that recurs in various series. That's unfortunate. And I was like, well, I haven't seen that happen in Eden Zero yet. Not yet. Not yet. Well, but... That's probably because the version we're going to get is going to be sex slaves. Because that's the only way Hero would do it. Actually, well, yes. But I haven't seen any that's saying it's a, that said it's a good thing. Anyone that says it's like, oh, yeah, the, the, anytime that slavery of any kind has come, it's like, oh, this is why this guy is too far. This is why he's a bad guy. It's because these girls aren't doing it uh, oh. willingly. So. so they get through the ship. Uh, basically, there's a whole thing about how your ether gets transferred through the ship and it, it modifies the bullets. So uh, Rebecca's bullets are super fast and uh, Hamora can just shoot swords and uh, Weiss can actually transform his bullets after the fact. And then Shiki just makes a big cannon. They blow it all up. Hey, there's an ocean in space. Whoa, this is crazy. Big, sh- big old fish in the middle. Chapter done. Yeah. Uh, I do really like the mechanic of people channeling their ether into the turrets. I think that's a cool gimmick. Um, it is probably the one positive thing I have to say about these two chapters. Um, but I don't have too much bad to say about them beyond, oh, great. Urza is a massive broken character again. <laughs> so. Hey, Nick, you know, <laughs> what else would we do? It has to be this way. I guess you're right, Chris. All right. Oh, good times are around the corner, man. Chainsaw Man, Chapter 79, Play Catch. Oh, it sounds fun. Look at this picture of Aki and Denji and Power, like, drawn as kids, hanging yeah. out at the aquarium. Look, the, look how happy they are. Good times ahead. Good times. The snowball fight continues, which, uh, of course, as we know in reality, is Aki as a gun devil fiend uh, is shooting at Denji while Denji is trying to fight back. Uh, and things aren't going well for Denji. He's getting parts of his body chunked off um he is seemingly trading a few shots back because we see aki in his uh in his imagination like a snowball kind of pegs his shoulder and then he goes oh my hands are getting cold denji says something that kind of that starts to break my heart and it doesn't ever mend after, after this point 
he starts screaming it screaming at the gun feed turn back turn back turn back into aki uh aki fires a bullet from his head gun which blasts denji through buildings and leaves him as a legless one-armed chunk spitting up blood from his mouth a bunch of bystanders come by and I got really worried for a second. They faked me out good when one of them pulls a knife. Yeah. And starts to raise up the knife like it's like uh, she's going to stab Denji. And instead, she digs it right through her own hand and starts to drip it right onto his tongue and starts feeding him blood. And a whole bunch of people gather around him to feed him their blood. And they're like, we saw you on TV. We saw what you did. And we don't want to die. I've got kids. Please save my family. And there are, you know, wounded people, wounded children gathering around Denji as like his legs grow back and stuff. And Denji gets up and you can kind of see like he silently realizes that he's got to do something here. And Aki approaches him and we cut to Aki's vision as he is getting pelted by snowballs. And then Aki starts to go, all right, yeah, good job. Take this. But then he looks at Denji, and even in his imagination, Denji is crying. And Aki goes, why are you crying? I've never seen you cry before. And then Aki falls on his back in the snow. And he starts to sit up afterwards and goes, okay, I lose. I don't like snowball fights anyway. They just make your hands cold. And then he looks around, and he can't see Denji anymore. He's just surrounded by snow and by some trees. And he looks over. He sees his house. His little brother is rushing out of the house to see him. And his little brother's got the ball and gloves so that they can play catch like they were going to when his family died. And Aki just is left by himself and he says, oh yeah, I wanted to play catch. And we cut back to the real world. And Denji's got both of his hand chainsaws impaled through Aki's chest. And the chainsaw devil face melts off of him and blood is dripping off of his head and Aki collapses on the ground while Denji collapses to his knees and we pan out to where the future devil I really want the future devil to be like the future rules like just take all the momentum out of the scene and he starts to giggle and he says Aki Hayakawa you died in the worst possible way for the chainsaw boy and Aki is dead. And the last image we're left on is just this big two-page spread of Aki playing with his little brother playing catch. This destroyed me, Chris. <laughs> I was reading through this just now and I was like, don't cry. Don't cry again. <laughs> Keep it together, old boy. Keep it together. When I read this on Sunday, I was shocked and dismayed and saddened and yeah i mean i've been surprised by chainsaw man by how good it's been since y'all were like nick read it and so i did and i was like okay you were right but never did i expect that it would make me feel this way <laughs> it's it's really good um and i feel really bad so <laughs> Yeah, it's brutal. This chapter is just great in a lot of ways. 
the snowball metaphor has lasted just long enough to to really cement itself when there's that moment of him getting hit back and you don't really see any of the action you just see the final blow no need to show any action the more important part is what this all symbolically means and it has that kind of small moment the the one good spider-man 2 scene where he's you know he gets lifted up on the train and all these people come to help dingy it's a very similar kind of moment of like the people coming to to protect the people but there's also kind of this dark tone about it too because it's kind of gross everything that's happening and why it has to happen so it's just an extremely great scene uh it's a great chapter it's a great end to a, a character who, when he was first introduced, I assumed was just going to be like, uh, he's just asshole. like, he's just the asshole Lancer character. Who cares? And it's just like, fuck, man, what a great, what a great character. Uh, people were chatting about this in the Discord, and there was a point where um, they bring up this, you know, one of the many times the Denji is kind of lost in thought, and he thinks to himself, like, what would make me cry? You know, would, would like if, if, if power died, would I cry? If that guy died, would I cry? Nah, I don't think I would. And now it's cutting to him and, you know, having to kill this guy who he is now acknowledged as, this, as a very good friend of his, has, you know, really, really broken him up. And he's, <laughs> it's so mean to have to put these people through this. And yeah. I do actually get the impression because the, I think the implication might be, um, with these people showing up that if they hadn't showed up, then maybe Denji wouldn't have actually fought him. Maybe he would have just let him kill him because he couldn't have brought himself to do it. Probably. So. Uh, it definitely seems like a very significant moment and kind of even have to love the chain, uh, the future devil just even being like, yep, you died the worst way for chainsaw boy. So yeah. nice little moment there. Great chapter. All right, that's going to do it for that chapter. Uh, Bone Collection. Um, Bone Collection is ready! Chapter 13. (laughs) I I want to fight. So, um... Nick, with some some oomph to it, come on! It's your favorite chapter of the week! (laughs) Bone Collection is ready! I don't know what to tell you about this. It's so... Nick, so are lame. you trying to tell me that you're not excited about this series that sounds like it very <laughs> might realistically be on the chopping block way sooner than even I thought it would be? Um, but To give a little bit of context, at the moment that we are reading this... Uh, Shoseki basically put out their like manga sales figures and stuff uh, for this week. And there is some interesting information to take in, like how the latest Chainsaw Man volume is selling very well. Uh, Mashal, first volume, selling very well, uh, selling almost as well as we never learn, basically. Uh, Time Paradox Ghost Rider is selling about as well as Mori King. Bone Collection selling incredibly poorly so um i don't think that there is any doubt that it is ending very soon in fact there were rumors that it might end in two weeks which if that is true it'll end at chapter 15 that's very very short a very very short run 
I think that after a certain point in terms of like if you end between like 13 and like 20 chapters, it stops being a matter of like, that's how bad it was. It was even worse. It's just a matter of like timing as in yeah. we need to open up a slot. This was on the chopping block because of how it's doing. And it's not a matter of you can't, you know, grade it any further. But even so, it is kind of. It feels appropriate that it's like, oh, yeah, this is good. This is maybe not even going to last more than 15 chapters. Now, it is worth noting that the the whole context to why the belief is it's going to be ending soon has to deal with manga plus and IDs and how they basically like sort of pre-reserve IDs for chapters about to come out three chapters Mm -hmm. in advance. There's currently only one chapter set for Mitama, but the thought is that might not be getting canceled, but just moving to another magazine, which I would like. And it also makes sense because if the next chapter of Mitama is the last one, the current chapter was a terrible, like penultimate chapter. So I don't know, but yeah, the the thought is that there are like two IDs basically for Bone Collection left, meaning it might only have two chapters left. Now, that's not like an exact science. No no announcement has been made, so don't take it completely to heart, but you should probably start getting ready for it to go. And and even if it's not, I mean, like the the sales figures that got put out, oh, oh God, so... (laughs) Um, anyway, might, might have to have a little Christmas or a Halloween in August just to do that <laughs> stupid pun. Runa has been kidnapped by the QB who is using the prison's defenses to barricade himself inside of the watchtower. So everyone's got to make their way inside. A whole bunch of exorcists got slaughtered very quickly, almost off panel last last chapter uh, in order to make things seem bad for the heroes. But it's OK. They're going to defeat some yokai off panel in this chapter. It'll all work out. Um, Runa's brother, I forget his fuck. Son, is that his name? I guess he runs off to try and, and save Runa. Uh, Pyra and Kazami have also run off because, you know, it's what you do. Uh, all, everyone's running around in different directions because this is the perfect way to act when, you know, you're racing toward into a, a, a building. You're like, yeah, everyone scatter. You're all idiots. Anyway, uh, uh, yokai show up. Uh, we get an info dump <laughs> about yokai and how they work. Um, which is that in A rank yokai, there are two categories of yokai. One has heightened killing abilities. These are the lower ranked ones, but the upper A rank yokai can also kill, but they possess unique superior powers, which to which I say, I thought all yokai possessed unique powers, but okay. So (laughs) not these ones or not the other ones. A bizarre marionette manipulating thing named Sarushibai has a bunch of monkey puppets devouring a dude. And son's like, get out of my way. And the son she buy Sarushibai is like, get him puppets. And so they go after him and he starts to fight them off. Uh, but they're starting to overwhelm him because he can't use the yokai spell because Runa's not there. But then all of a sudden, oh, Kazami and Pyra show up and they break puppets. I think there are scattered remains of puppets around them. And so they're like, where have you two been? And Pyra and Kazami say, we went ahead to the two operation towers. And took out two yokai. Good to know. Whoa, they're so, so strong, Nick. Oh, 
All they had to do was have one conversation. Now they're at like maximum power. It's fucking awesome. So they're like, what's so the Saranchi guy is like, what's your rank? And they're like, it's low. He's like, rant about stuff and you can't satisfy us. And then Kazami turns into a rubber man and Pyra punches so they can destroy some puppets and somehow still fit onto the same panel. And so Kazami's like, look, son, we're stronger now. Even Pyra is able to fight now. To which I started to go, wait a minute. And so, but he gives us this explanation of like, see, Pyra hasn't been able to fight this far because she's half human. Wait a minute. She couldn't use her spiritual energy. Hold on. By powering up the yokai spell and passing it through Kazami, he's able to confer power to Pyra. Pyra is using Kazami's spiritual power. Now, Pyra can fight. Chris, I, I hope you understand through reading the past 12 chapters of Bone Collection, that Pyra has never been violent and gotten involved in fighting in any way, shape or form the past several months of this series. So it's a big deal that she can fight now. She's never fought anyone before. Nick, now Pyra can fight. <laughs> it's, it's like this big triumphant bragging thing. Now Pyra can fight. Oh yeah. We know you've been waiting for this, this ultraviolet character who regularly Beats Kazami's head and leaves a giant mountain of lumps on him who has gotten gored in the chest by a giant bone drill. And the only damage that she suffered was her sailor uniform getting ripped up so that her boobs were exposed. Oh, yeah, that tiny, fragile girl who could not hurt anyone. Now she can fight. Yeah, now she can fight. is so bad. (laughs) It's so bad. She punches a puppet. She punches another puppet. She punches things in the way that she's been punching things for 12 chapters, but she's never done before, apparently. Uh, She crushes a bunch of the puppets into basically a sushi roll, and there's kind of a joke about that. The the puppet guy gets upset about all of his puppets breaking. He's like, at least leave me with one of them. Don't break my last one. And Pyra breaks his last one while while kicking him in the face. And we cut over to the QB in the tower with Runa, and... He's got his hand stuck in her chest the way that Kazami has to stick his hand into Pyra's chest in order to use the Okai spell. And it's like, so you have to do the exact same thing in order to draw out her power? Okay. All right, I guess. You use that exorcist technique like the Yokai you are in order to reclaim the power that somehow got Nick anyway. if you want to ta- if you want to borrow anything from a yokai like anything y- they can't give it to you you have to reach into their chest and then sort of metaphysically pull it out so like if you need to borrow 5 bucks they're like all right i can borrow i can lend it to you they they can't like pull out a wallet and give it to you you have to plunge your hand into your ch- into their chest that's just how yokai work it's just it's just a rule in the universe you're right you know what? You're right. <laughs> it might be. Who knows? Akifuyu and the samurai guy defeat two more yokai off screen. Therefore, the dome that was protecting the tower collapses. I'm glad that all those mini bosses were established because they're all dead now. Uh, well, so. Nick, it's very important we establish them uh, because they're going to come back later. The real four, <laughs> whatever four guys who were helping the QB. <laughs> like, guys, we got to do some branding on this team name. I feel like the four something. They're like random nobodies who gets annihilated. Like, no, I'm thinking. 
we gotta have something, right? Like the four I mean, pillars our, or something. If our faction has a name, then we have to be used more than once. <laughs> what if we like theme ourselves around like the four Chinese directions? You know, like the tiger and the the the, the turtle and the dragon and everything. Like that. What if we? <laughs> what am I? <laughs> All right, maybe this won't work. You're like the phoenix. Well, we can reflavor you into the phoenix. <laughs> Like, what if we all just died off screen immediately? Well, that's not good. It would kind of indicate that we're running through this. Like, we don't have time left. I really like my idea to die off screen. (laughs) I would appreciate it if I could die off screen. It's been my lifelong ambition. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to miss you, Bone Collection. (laughs) Reassures that Runa that they're going to to, to, to Pyro reassures Son that they're going to rescue Runa, and she says, "Don't just stand there. We're going to QB. There's no time for you to beat yourself up." And then San or Pyra or Kazami, one of them, I don't know who. The arrow is not pointing clearly to any of them. Says, "Huh? I haven't done much here." And that's the final line of the chapter. Always end on a high note. Next chapter! <laughs> Maguchan, god of destruction. There is a summer festival. It's a festival, a festival. Matsurida. So, uh, Ru tells Magu about this, and she's like, yeah, they're going to set up freaking explosions in the air. And he's like, I'm not unwilling. Take me. So that weekend, all Rue gets dressed up in her yukata. It's, and she's all she's got her high hair tied up, all cute. Get the chapter title, the ruler of the night sky. And Mag is like, I too have anticipated this day. There is no greater feeling than having my followers make offerings and dance in my honor. And Rue is like, Why do you think that everyone's celebrating Magachan? This festival isn't for you. And Magu's immediately very upset and depressed by this. <laughs> He's like a little kid going to a birthday party, and then he's told it's not the party's not for you. And then you've got to like give him a present so he doesn't feel as bad anymore because he. <laughs> uh, Ruru goes to visit Ren, who is main his manning uh, his family's takoyaki stall. Um, there is a joke about the fact that um, oh yeah, they're squid tentacles. So he's like, is this an insult toward me? And then he's like, this displeases me. Allow me to devour them all. <laughs> Any excuse to eat food. We're introduced to Ren's older sister, Rin, who is a couple years older than them. I think actually she's only one year older than them because they're second year middle school, which is one year below high school in Japan. Anyway, so Ruru goes to visit her. Uh, they greet each other and stuff. Reen is selling balloons, which she gives away a few of them because she's like, these aren't going to sell anyway. Just go ahead and take them, you know. And uh, then <laughs> Magu eats one of the balloons, <laughs> just swallows it. Uh, Ru <laughs> introduces Magu as the god of destruction, to which Reen says, huh, cool. Just doesn't care. <laughs> doesn't care. Hey, what are you going to do, you know? And uh, eventually the plot finally emerges for this chapter, which is a, a, a little girl who's been separated from her family. And so Rue is trying to cheer her up. She, you know, gives her one of the balloons to help her out. She's like, let's go, you know, try and find your mommy and daddy. The girl's like, is that a Pokemon on your head? And she's like, yes, this is Magu-chan, a Pokemon. I don't know anything about Pokemon. <laughs> 
but then she's like, and look, since he's a Pokemon, he can evolve. And of course, Maka takes on his terrifying spiky form, which causes the little girl to start running away. And uh, so she start, starts to go after her. The fireworks start to go off at that moment. She's like, oh, I, I can't watch them. I've got to find that girl. So she's looking around for them. Rue has to come across the girl's parents first, who, of course, are still looking for her. Uh, so she's like, OK, I'll, I'll help you find her. She's trying to shoulder her way through the crowd. And eventually she gets the idea because Maga's like, I mean, why don't you just wait until the crowd disperses after the fireworks are over and then you can search for her? And Rue's like, well, no, she came to watch the fireworks with her family and those are what memories should be made of. So I've got to get her to her family so that they can share those memories together. Then she gets an idea. And she's like, Maga, I need your help. She has him swallow another balloon. Or I think she actually has to swallow all the balloons because that's not dangerous at all. And uh, from his sky high view, Mago is able to spot the girl, lead Ruru over towards her by kind of tugging in that direction. Ruru gets the girl back to her family. They're all very grateful to her. And of course, she's gotten her back to her family right as the fireworks are ending. So Ruru's like, I didn't even get to see the fireworks. Oh, well. But Mago's like, not so fast. The real festivities are about to begin. And he grabs all the remaining takoyaki from Ruru. And devours them all. And uh, and Ruru's like, if you eat that much, you're going to. And then Magu starts, just goes, foolish humans, raise their eyes to me. And he fucking blows up in the sky. And then he falls to the ground in a big old splat. And Ruru's like, did you do that so I could see the fireworks? And Magu's like, did you see? My destructive might exceeds that of this realm's earth god. And so she picks him up and hugs him, and that's it. That's 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 the chapter. They have a little sweet moment at the end. So it was nice. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. We might not be carrying on with Magu much longer, just because we never really have anything to add to it. It's cute. I like it, but what's there to recap beyond just like I liked it? So yeah. Let's talk about Mashal, Chris. Let's talk about Mashal. Mmm, cream puffs. He's not in this chapter. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to come in somewhere. Lance Crown and the Higher Tier of Magic. This, I think, is the first chapter that is, like, completely devoid of jokes of Mashal. I think even the previous Lance one had, like, one or two jokes in it. That just based off the weird clash of personalities. And I think this one has... None it is like completely serious. So we get more insights into. Uh, <clears throat> God, this guy's name is so weird. So I, I like I vaguely remember it, but I don't at the same time. The glasses guy that he's fighting. I don't remember, unfortunately. Right. Mud man. So. Yeah. <laughs> he's just the guy from class one B. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So he he's we get a bit of a we get a flashback from him about how, you know, he's always been he's always had a high capacity for magic. He was a double line magic user. His parents work for the Bureau and he's received a special education. He's received he's gone to private schools and has always been at the top of his class. And he's joined the Magia Lupus, which was an inevitability in his mind. And he's like, obviously, I'm strong. I'm strong. After all that, there's no way I couldn't be. So there's no way that I could be weak. And, of course, we get back to where we were at the end of the last chapter with Lance saying, based on what you've been saying, clearly my environment was the superior one. 
So the guy's like, this is really cocky of you, but you're not going to beat me. And he takes out a vial and starts to swallow it. And he says, this is the concentrated magic essence that was taken from the other students. And one of the privileges being part of Magia Lupus is getting these. And his his key surges. He, he gets a huge power up from this. His power level is rising. The scouter breaks and stuff. And he uses his next spell, Modoro's second, Modoro Devilis, which summons this massive mud golem thing with like a goat's head. And he introduces the concept for we, the readers, saying that all classes of magic have a more have a higher tier that single than what single line magic users can use. And even among double lines, only if you can use second spells, only the worthy can use them. And as he says this, we actually get the information that apparently he was named worth because his parents want him to have worth. So that's not weird at all. So he's basically spent his entire life trying to live up to their expectations, studying hard, practicing hard, trying to prove he is worthy. And apparently, from what we see in his flashbacks, um, his dad's really hard on him. And he doesn't see him as worthy, basically. And he's trying to prove to his dad that he is worthy. And Worth says to Lance, guys like you who lower themselves to hang out with worthless people will never achieve this. But Lance says in response, well, if you believe that they're worthless, then you don't get it. Because that guy reminded me of something. And we get a, a flashback to what Mash said about, hey, you know, I'm not the type to make rational decisions and stuff. And Lance says, the only one allowed to insult them is me. And then he casts Graviol Seconth. And he summons these four torture poles surrounding the golem that Worth has summoned. And it freezes the golem in place. And then he says, each of these pillars exerts a strong gravitational pull and your devil is trapped between them, being pulled in four separate directions and then ripped apart. And sure enough, the entire Magalm is just explodes in all four directions and collapses. And Worth's spell was defeated. He's done, basically. And he flashes back to being chewed out by his dad more and more and more because he doesn't have worth and stuff. And the line that echoes in his mind is, when will you finally show me you have worth? And Worth now concludes from this defeat, I can't. I'm worthless. At that moment, Lance tosses Worth his journal. And he says, that's yours, right? That's a reference text. You've read that a lot. You must use it a lot. What do you think gives someone worth? My parents measured worth by position and social standing, and you and I were probably raised similarly. And he thinks about his sister, and he says, in that sort of environment, people will rush to judge your worth by aptitude and standing, but I disagree with that. I don't like the way you talk or act, but I respect the work you've put in. And he turns, and he leaves the room. And worth is left to just contemplate what he has said to him, and he's just like, doesn't just, you know... I didn't really care if I had worth to those people. All I wanted, and he trails off and just goes like, I don't need your respect, stupid first year. So this is a very different chapter for Mashal. A much more just character-driven piece, something that you would see in a much more typical battle manga. But I think it was done very well. Um, 
I think that in a series that did this all the time, I would appreciate it much less. And I'm sure that I have a track record of having said so. But in small doses, I do like this. So I love this chapter. This is, this is excellent in so many ways. Uh, I, I think for a little bit now, Mashal was felt like kind of the mash show and without him the series doesn't feel like it has it but slowly but surely we've been kind of spending a little bit more time with lance and i've been kind of digging him i was like you know he's kind of like this cool side character doesn't have a whole ton but this chapter really went a long way to kind of developing him and making me appreciate him more just the moment of him being able to connect with this guy who's you know doesn't have a whole bunch there but you know we can now see the similarities between him and the fact that it's like well you know when you're in a setting that's kind of a school and your antagonists are other kids sometimes it's kind of nice that you don't just like punch them into oblivion and they explode into a big like exp like firework in the sky instead it's him being like you know what i don't like you particularly i don't like the way you did it, but i i damn sure respect the work you've put into this and it, it's just a really sweet moment it makes lance mm -hmm. look better it makes me kind of glad to see that this this you know worth guy responds to it in the way he does like it's a moment where if 30 chapters down the line worth shows up and he's an ally i'd be kind of excited for it because yeah. this is a, a cool little moment there and uh, I thought this was just excellent all the way around. I, I really appreciate every part of this. I, I Even the name Second is stupid and weird, but I, I do like the moment of like introducing this mechanic and then very quickly being like, oh, Lance can do that too. So he, we're going to kind of build into this and set this new establishment for the world going forward. It, it Just every part of this as like a battle manga worked extraordinarily well. Yeah. And I also like that it takes the I beat you now. Look, now let's be friends kind of thing, but did it in a much more controlled, less over the top way that fit the personality of the hero that was involved in the story uh -huh. of just kind of reaching out and saying, I understand you and I respect what you have been through. But this is why your way of looking at things is wrong yeah. and leads him just to think about that. And also, if we're going to make Harry Potter comparisons with this series, which we are for all all time, basically, probably considering the clear inspiration that it is drawn for his premise. Um, you know, Harry could have probably avoided a lot of troubles in future years if he had tried harder to make friends with Slytherins as opposed to like, well, they were mean to me when we were 11. And so I guess that they're just all assholes. So the entire context, that dorm are evil people. So thus, they yeah. should never be respected. Yeah, that's it. They're just all bad people. Yeah, they're all racist. We put all the racists over there. That means that uh, all of the other aspects of uh, um, bigotry and such in our society don't need to be questioned. Slavery's fine. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Time paradox ghostwriter. Ding! Your. Uh, I don't really know what happens in this chapter, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Your something is ready. Victory and defeat, a.k.a. I think Time Paradox Ghostwriter might be getting canceled soon, Chris. <laughs> so... What? Are you saying that just based off the fact that they actually censored the like the volume release to try to remove more of the references to plagiarism in it? <laughs> so, um, we get, we go back from the previous chapter to when uh, Itsuki was wishing luck to Tepe 
And they were, you know, saying like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to compete against each other now. And of course, Tepe is thinking about that message that was on his refrigerator saying that if he doesn't beat her, then she's going to die. This does not sound like the detail from the rant of a crazy person at all. Anyway. So uh, we get more montaging and such. And Tepe, we get the recap that just says, thanks to the momentum leading up to chapter 45, it held its position quite well at the start after it started following along the original plot that Tepe had to do. But chapter by chapter, the number of survey votes we got decreased. And two months later, Itsuki Aino's debut series appeared. Her manga, Anima, had arrived with a T-Rex dinosaur knight. Like, <laughs> holy shit. Uh, and... Uh, the survey results were White Knight lost to Anima, uh, 2,100 votes to 1,700, basically. And immediately Tepe's like, oh, God, I failed. Aino's going to die. Of course, after that, he's like, no, no, it's not over. So what if I lost for one chapter? That can't be it. That can't be the difference between life and death. I can still beat her with the next one. The next one matters. I'll do whatever it takes to change the future. We get this big full page spread of him all determinedly drawing his, his pen hand is glowing and such. He meets up with, uh, his, uh, with his editor and, uh, he's like, Oh, Hey, you've, you're got, you've really picked it up since, you know, uh, lately. I mean, since chapter 46, you had, you did seem kind of pressed and stuff, but it seems like, you have really picked it up. This seems way better. Maybe this will land you back in the top spot. You can beat Anima. And so Tepe does inquire like, hey, so how's Aino doing? <laughs> and he's just like, um, well, she's drawing everything by herself now. And she won't meet with me. And she stopped answering the phones. <laughs> but she's fine. She's, she's fine. fine. We haven't actually met face to face. And that's... Doesn't seem healthy, but she's fine. She's sticking to sticking to the schedule. Uh, eventually, she. I, I, I kept. I was really worried. I kept calling, and uh, eventually, she requested they replace me with a different editor. So I guess it's my fault. <laughs> I can't really trust. That's on me. That's on me for having concern. So I feel so bad for this guy. <laughs> He's just trying to do his job and he actually cares about the people he works with. And it's just like, yeah, so when I was really worried about her, um, she fired me. <laughs> <laughs> so Tepe now gets really worried about Aino and he's like, uh, clearly she won't overwork herself to death, right? That's not going to happen, right? I mean, and he does bring up the logical point of, I mean, if she works herself to death, I'm not sure how me beating her in the rankings is going to affect anything. So that can't be it. But he is still worried about her. So he gives her a call and he's like, are you OK? Are you sick? Are you? And she's just like, what are you talking about? I'm doing I'm doing great. Uh, and, you know, Tepe brings up the fact that, you know, she's working more and more on her own. And she says, I'm much more efficient that way. And anyway, everything's fine. They accept my first draft right away. There's no real need to have editor meetings and stuff. So everything's fine. And Tepe warns her, okay, I mean, don't push yourself too hard. And she teases him by saying, like, oh, okay, are you just saying that so that I'll let up and you'll be able to beat me in the reader surveys? Uh, but she's kidding. Um, and then, you know, they, they hang up. And Tepe's like, I mean, it sounded just like her. I mean, and also, 
And again, he brings up, if she dies of exhaustion, how is me beating her supposed to stop that from happening? And it, it, it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, you bringing it up doesn't make me ask that question legitimately of the series premise in general any less. So, yeah. Because that's what happens. Like, <laughs> yeah, at first you're like, oh, maybe she has an attack. Like, maybe, like, she, she pushed herself too far, gets hospitalized. Like, the thing that happened in Bakuma. Like, you pushed yourself yes. too hard, that kind of thing. But then the later <laughs> this chapter is like, no, she just died. All and, at once, all the exhaustion caught up with her. And it's like, well, my heart stopped beating. <laughs> so, um, so Tepe tries to just go back to business as usual. He's like, I've just got to try and make White Knight as good as I can be. Uh, and then later he gets a call from the from the uh, editors. And we don't get literal. Yeah, Itsuki died of exhaustion from his mouth. But because the words are distorted over the phone, Tepe drops the phone. And this is so weird. <laughs> I mean, I, it's understandable. What's weird about him time. going to yell at his fridge, Nick? <laughs> he goes to his melted microwave robot fridge and he screams at it. Why didn't you just tell me that Ina was going to die of exhaustion? <laughs> and he's like, if you just told me that. There would have been any number of ways to stop it from happening. It's almost like the series has started to become a parody of itself. Where it's just like, and I know it would have been something as stupid as exhaustion. I could have helped her. This is like the sketch that someone posts online about the series where it's just where they play into the drama. And then eventually, like the person playing the performer, the playing the character is just like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> spends the next three minutes talking about everything wrong with the series. So he's like, you told me I could only stop it by winning with White Knight. That makes no sense. What were you trying to achieve? And. The time machine makes God, noise. I just wish like the little magnet showed up and it was just like, lol, and then it disappeared forever. <laughs> just, a sh- just like, it's just, a, it's just a troll face. It's like, ah, <laughs> just like, damn it. I got tricked by a microwave again. While in the future, this is the greatest use for time travel I could possibly think of. <laughs> Tossing someone with the knowledge that his friend is going to die and tricking him into thinking that he's making a difference when he's there's nothing he can do about it. Future Elon Musk turns his chair around, smoke puffing from his cigar, and he's like, this time machine was a great idea. Time to get on Twitter again. <laughs> uh. Oh, this thing that I had zero input into creating worked out great. Now to use it in the most irresponsible manner possible. <laughs> The time machine creates a portal and Tepe is sucked into question mark the portal. It opens in front of him and then it closes and we see that his cell phone and one of his sandals has been left behind. I don't know if he walked into it or if it just sucked him in. But anyway, he's going into the future question mark. So. Chris, remember what, like four or five chapters ago when I said like, oh, time travel to avoid the dark future. The floor has been raised. This is what I'm fucking talking about. This is not good, but. 
Oh, this it is, is also memorable. Great. This is very memorable. I, there's something so subtly hilarious about the notion of like, why? Why is she happening? Why does she have to die? And then slowly the refrigerator door opens. And he's like, I'm being sucked in my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> like the future devil shows up. It's just like, oh, he thought that you could save the rules. Say the future rules. <laughs> you didn't ask me to. That's right, Tepe Sasaki. Itsugi Aino died in the worst way possible. For you. You never told me that. <laughs> she just needed to take a break. She just needed to take a nap a few occasionally. <laughs> My competing with her might have made her go harder. What if I had a friendlier, healthier rivalry with her and wasn't just so determined to beat her? What if I, like, talked to her more often than just once in a blue moon? What if we, like, met for lunch occasionally and I managed to subtly convince her to take it easier that way? No, I just had to just go balls in on competing with someone way more talented than me that I clearly never stood a chance of defeating. And you said that this would work. I, I Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I'm really tickled by the idea that, like, what was, what were the author comments for I Know Like in this world currently? <laughs> Where she's like, didn't do anything but work on manga again. <laughs> Why do I have to keep doing this? Stop bothering me, jump! <laughs> and then she, she just, like, submits part of her storyboard for a future chapter. She's like, whoops! <laughs> Give me that back. No stealing. <laughs> oh, All right, let's, let's kick over to just pleasant good times. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about We Never Learned Chapter 160. Well, half the chapter is pleasant good times. The other half is like, is this really the one? This Is this really Fumino's good ending? Are we sure? <laughs> Uh, question 168, a pizza bet equals Sleeping Beauty of the Literary Forest, part 9, the final chapter of the Fumino arc. So we cut to four months later, Fumino is at Uega's place, Uega's sister has a whole reference to, like, your brother and I will never be involved that way, and then she's very quickly like, eh, whatever, it's been four months, I'm over it. It's kind of like a weird joke, because she makes it very serious, and then she's also the one to, like, blow it up, and like, that was four months ago, it's fine. Um, and then she has some weird it's, sentence it's about like, I'm still going to fuck him. Like, <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's basically like, you know, compared to the eternal bonded siblings have some like random hussy he meets will never be able to compare. So uh, there's that for all in this series. But this one's got the sibling complex locked down. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So at, at least this one, the sibling obsession is perpetrated by the female side of things, at least. Which is distinctly different from all the other six that are currently in jump right now. So um, there, there's a small little moment where Uega and Firmino are like, "Oh, this is the uh, we're gonna go on a date today. This is the first time we're gonna be able to really, you know, be able to do this." Uh, and they're so awkward, and 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 it's cute because they're basically the same. They go to a pool. It's it's kind of nice. Um, Ogata and Aruka show up and are cunts. I don't. They are. I don't really mean about this. I don't get why this is like. So one of the reasons where I kind of thought 
Ogata or Uruka's storyline was the end because it kind of like gave everyone like a little moment in an epilogue too. And this chapter does, but Fumino or Ogata and Uruka are just catty and mean for some reason. They see Fumino's a little nervous and they're like, well, if you don't make him happy, we're going to use our giant tits and steal them from you. And that the- is almost literally what they say. Yeah. Like, I mean, it would be one thing if they were just kind of like, hey, if you don't, you know, get close to Uiga, the guy that you're supposedly dating, then we might just steal him from you. And they could, te- even if they just kept it to that, it would be a little mean, but it could be kept to teasing. But they are specifically referring to something that by now they have to know Fumito's got a complex about. Mm-hmm. This has been a source of her feelings of inadequacy for like the entire series that some at best she is annoyed by the fact that she is flat chested compared to the two of them and, and they're literally just going like look at our big boobs we're gonna use these to seduce him yeah i i understand they're doing it to like try to encourage her um that's not how friends work and it's a shitty thing for them to do so yeah, yeah it's and, stupid <laughs> imagine if imagine chris if like uh you and I were to you know what? Yeah, let's go with you and I. Why not? Let's say that you and I were, for some reason, both bodybuilders. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I, I can. Don't know I, how. I can easily already visualize this universe. Continue. And uh, let's say that we met up one day with Jeff Ruberg of the Pod Digits Podcast, and mm-hmm. we're like. Oh, well, we happen to know that Jeff is kind of self-conscious about the fact that he's not a ripped studly bodybuilder like yeah. we are. And we were just like, hey, if you don't get close to your boyfriend, we're going to use these to pick him up and carry him away. It would just be a really weird, mean thing to do. Like, There's like an extra level on top of it, too, because if we also were previously established to have had romantic feelings for Jeff's boyfriend, yeah. it seems really mean, so... Like, every part of this is just, like, I don't... You guys are on vacation? This is, like, the first time you've met in, like, months and this is how you're gonna treat her? I don't... I don't know. It just seems odd. Uh, Literally every previous love interest shows up in a bikini that I think is skimpier than any that they had worn in the main series. So it's mm. like, is the is it the fact that they know they can't lock down Yuiga just being like, I gotta catch another one. I yeah. gotta get one right now. Very possibly. Uh, Firmino and Yuiga eat some lunch together. As you said, Karasu and Ashumi show up. Uh, they basically are like, yep, yeah, uh, we're gonna... You know, thank you. Know, you we they use him as basically a distraction to get these like annoying dudes off their back. Uh, Firmino gets jealous, and then there's just a sequence of events where the two of them try to have some level of an actual date, but every time they meet somebody that they know, they see Asumi's mom, they see one of Uega's friends, they see Kirisu's sister, they see other people that I think I'm supposed to know, but I don't. And uh, it all ends with them being, like, really exhausted at one of those, like, um, oh, God, what do they call them? The, like, Yukata Festival things. Uh, Oban, Matsuri. Oban, whatever. They go to one of those festivals. The big one is Oban. Okay. uh, But the smaller ones are called Matsuri festivals. So So they go to one of those festivals, and they hold hands. They're like, yeah, this way we won't get separated. Let's stay together. They go to eat on a little park bench. And Uega's like, I see some shaved ice on you. And she's like, huh, where? And he's like, oh, right here. And then they realize they're touching. Oh, this is really, really close. 
And Firmino's like, oh, I, I wonder if you're ready to graduate from feminine psychology education program. And then someone, uh, like two girls loudly are like, oh, let's have candied apples. And she's like, oh, they ruined the moment. Now nothing's going to happen. And you wait a kiss to her. And she's like, oh, wow. So it's really true. The first kiss tastes like lemons. A uh, little cute moment there. Uh, sorry, look like you're about to say something. Well, a couple of things. One, okay. I've never heard that, but maybe it's a Japanese thing. Mm-hmm. Two, they've been dating for four months, and that's their first kiss. They mentioned that it's they've been very busy. That like they okay. they they both had to start getting ready to enter college. They basically got together at like the worst time for being able to naturally spend time with one another. So, yeah. I guess that they literally just didn't have an opportunity until now. Mm-hmm. I guess that's it. Yeah. So there's a little line out there like, hey, you know, somewhere in another world, if there are as many lives out there as stars in the sky and many different Firminos are exploring different possibilities, then if within those myriad of possibilities, this moment is one. Yeah, that's right. Is there anything more precious than they both say I love you and they kiss as stars shoot from the sky and that's the end of Firmino's route. It's also the end of the world. Um, the um, <laughs> the dust cloud that those things are going to summon is. Uh, <laughs> that would be dark. <laughs> She's like, this is my end. This, this is my world. <laughs> the route that I'm in the world ends immediately after we kiss for the first time. Oh, dude! If either the Asumi or Curiouser routes are like a zombie apocalypse setting, and that and they hook up during that, that's gonna be so great. <laughs> um, um, look, the closing of this chapter is very sweet mm-hmm. and very romantic, and I like that. The weird cattiness at the beginning of this does not portray. Any other character very well, though, did not like that. And uh, I feel as if this chapter was not as strong overall as the several previous ones that we got that actually resolved their romance and stuff. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. overall. There's a little sweet moment. It basically this felt like a necessary chapter, kind of the way these little arcs are set up. It's several chapters. Then, like, a big confession chapter, a big romantic chapter, and then a quasi-epilogue chapter. And I felt like the last chapter, perfect. Could have ended it there. This one doesn't really add anything. There's a little bit more star imagery and a little bit more cute exchanges that work, but the last chapter already kind of covered all parts of that. So this one feels pretty superfluous in the grand scheme of things. A little bit tacked on. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on to Dr. Stone Z equals 160, Torch of Science. Well, it looks like Senku's dead. Blood went everywhere after the uh, sniper bullet went through the potato starch thing and shattered and ripped into him. Um, there is a, a nice little detail because uh, Yuzuriha and, and Ginro are like, oh my god, you know, the gunshot is coming right towards us. And Ryusui just says, like, bullets move faster than sound. It has already hit. Uh, and Taiji is the first one to spot that Senku has been hit. Stan gets off of the, down from the tree and he's like, enemy science leader's dead. You two hang back and keep watch going home, basically. <laughs> uh, the two of them, of course, are like, what about Miss Luna? And he just says, leave her, help her, your choice. Not my problem. Cold blooded. <laughs> so Luna, of course, is left there to think, 
what do I do now? Uh, there is, of course, an amount of panic going on uh, as people are like, oh, my God, they've killed Senku. And of course, you know, he's bleeding and everything as they're trying to carry uh, carry him inside. Ryusui, however, main, maintains order, thinking, hey, everyone, the enemy thinks right now with Senku gone, these kids can't match us in battle. So we'll squeeze the fight out of them until they surrender. But now's our chance to strike back while the enemy's overconfident. So we, let's, we've got to you know, focus on that. And of course, Yo and Ginro are bringing up the fans like, I mean, it, it's kind of weird to just quickly move on from this. And Ginro's like, we should dig a grave for him. And Ryusui's like, don't bury him yet. And Senku's like, I ain't dead yet, bitches. <laughs> um, Kaseki finds the bag of the starch. Um, and he is, you know, visibly crying despite the fact that he can see, you know, how Senku has managed to survive, at least for the time being. Uh, Francois tries to tend to Senku while Taiju helps. I think that he's helping. I'm not sure. I think he's holding stuff down for, for, uh, for Francois and helping provide bandages and stuff. Ginro starts to celebrate and uh, his servant is just like, nope, and puts his hand over his mouth so that, you know, he doesn't, like, alert the enemy that, oh, yeah, Senku ain't dead. But uh, Senku says, if they'd shot me in the head, then that would have been instant death. But for all they know, I was the only one with the revival fluid recipe memorized, so they probably wanted to give me a chance to spill the secret of my deathbed. That's how I, I knew that they would aim for the chest. Okay. Sure, yeah. Um, but Luna overhears this explanation and she's like, wow, I mean, in the middle of all that, he actually kept his wits about him and she's actually like crying, uh, uh, when she realizes this and how Senku's able to keep his cool this way. Senku passes out and Francois says, look, I administered first aid, but he needs a medical professional. Luna goes over to Senku and starts to touch his arm in a few places. And she thinks to herself, I don't really remember this, but she remembers a few things about like taking pulse and how when you apply different uh, pressures to get the pulse, then that means either low or high blood pressure, which means you've got to do something different in each case. So she's like, well, his blood pressure is dropping. And they're like, oh, are you? Are you a doctor, Luna? And she's like, no, no, I'm I'm just a kid. I'm I'm a medical student. And we get a little bit of insight into Luna's past about how she wanted to become this capable gal so that she could find a happening brainy dude to be my BF. Uh, but once she got into school, which she only apparently got because of her connections, she worked really hard, but she didn't really understand anything. And she was the only one in her class who had to, who failed and had to repeat a year. But even so, she does have medical knowledge because she's been to medical school. And so Taiju goes over to her, grabs her hands and says, please, we don't have anyone else. Please save our good buddy Senku. You got to save him. And we cut away at that moment over to where Kuhaku and Chrome are still spying on the enemy base. Uh, they're thinking about what kind of plan they might have. And they're like, all right, if we sneak over there, they're going to see us coming. They'll rain arrows down on us. Um, and she's Kawaka's like, well, I could handle arrows, but, but at that moment, someone speaks up, but the machine gun crossfire would kill us on the spot. And they realized someone had snuck up on them and they spin around and Hey, Sukasa's group has arrived. They're all there. Big two page spread to celebrate Sukasa and Yoga. 
and Suica and nobody else. Nobody else important is there. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so the Tsukasa quickly analyzes the situation. He's like, I mean, maybe we could sneak through the cornfields, but we'd still be too exposed. Hyoga's like, once we've infiltrated, we could have the advantage in close combat. Ukiya's like, well, then the problem is that we have to grab the enemy boss and make our way out. And Tsukasa thinks for a second, he's immediately like, we have to dig. And Hyoga agrees with him. And everyone's like, dig? And Tsukasa says, yes, we need to create a reverse great escape. Dig a subterranean tunnel right into the heart of the enemy. And we get this big, you know, like imagined scientific method of doing it, which is Senku builds a Senku, a Senku like mech that is also Gurren Lagan so that they can drill their way to it. Um, so then we get this cool little detail where Ukyo uses Kenshin Uesugi's code system, which basically it's a code that is that uses Japanese syllabary and equates them the syllables to a pair of numbers so that you can use that to communicate syllables. And so that way they can communicate simple words to each other. And even if like there's code breaking and all that stuff, the enemy's got, well, there there's a language barrier there as well. So it will be really, really hard for them to break this presumably. So, uh, however, the response that Yukio gets is, Oh, Senku has been shot by a sniper, but he's alive. Well, we still got a tunnel, though. So they're like, well, but if Senku's wounded, then we can't have him just build something to drill our way there. And so, but Ukyo just turns and he says, well, I've got three characters from Senku here. It's, they spell out Kuromu, Chrome. And that's the only message is that Senku is entrusting this to Chrome. And so we get, you know, a montage of you know, moments that Chrome and Senku have shared together. And... You know, Senku, while he's on his possibly deathbed, just says to himself, you've got to realize that Dr. Chrome, the scientist now, is you. And Chrome has a very somber look on his face as the chapter ends. So, cool chapter. Uh, I like the uh, I like the little details in this more than really a lot of the big stuff, but there are some cool uh, developments that I also enjoy. Uh, I like, you know, Luna kind of slowly being brought over to helping out the kingdom of science and, uh, the concept of we'll dig our way into the, into the base. seems like a really cool idea too. So. Mm -hmm. Seems okay. <clears throat> Gotta talk about, oh wait, never mind. We had to talk about mission years of Kura family first. There's a fight, uh, versus Nomen mission 45. There is a fight. Uh, Taya's getting his ass kicked. A trash can emerges. Guns, boom, 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 boom. Oh, hey, it's 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 the uh, <clears throat> it's Shinzo. And he's here to help out, uh, 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 help out Taya. And so Shinzo's like, Taya, go home, and I'll fight this guy. And they start to fight. And um, Taya, however, is instructed to actually go down and evacuate the building because. This guy can blow up the whole building, and that way Shinso can't fight him, because if he just starts to fight back, they're like, oh, I'll clench my teeth down and blow up the building. So Tayo decides to pretend to be a terrorist and chase everyone out of the building, which seems like it could backfire in a trillion ways, really. Um, but it works. Everyone gets out of the building safely, and so Shinso is now able to fight the guy. Uh, he 
does admittedly pull out a really badass looking gun um, that's like a taser bazooka, basically. And uh, he finishes the guy off with that. Uh, there is a shadowy figure in a hat and long uh, coat that we see who has a ring uh, that seems to be connected to possibly Tayo or possibly the Yozakura family uh, that is making his way through the crowd while the terrorist uh, plan is going on. But um, Shinzo, be- Shinzo beats the guy and uh, they they win. No man's defeated. Hooray. That's it. Okay. Yep. There you Black go. Black Clover. All right, Nick, let's talk about Black Clover, page 259. Uh, Raging Bull Unison. So Asta borrowed the power of his devil. Devil tells him, you got 50 seconds, buddy. And I, you know, like your arm isn't like it was before when I just dribbled power into it. It is power itself, but you won't be able to hold out past 50 seconds. So we've got a timer. Uh, 50 seconds seems about length for a single chapter, too. So uh, there's a bunch of fight. (laughs) Um, oh, let me start. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, it's it's a bunch of it's a bunch of fighting and action. Uh, Yami's like, hey, if he gets like one shot, then it sounds like it's gonna work. So I gotta put even more into it. NASA's like, no, I have to put more into it. And they're both moving randomly, but they're actually in sync, and it looks like they're even having fun because that's it's jazz, it's chaos. <laughs> yeah, it's chaos. This guy threatened to like take all the women captive and make them as women. So I don't know. I feel like I would just want to fight him, but it's fun because we're pushing past our boundaries. And Dan Dante's like, I'm going to crush all of you guys. It's ba- only like eight seconds. Oh no. It's, it's only like three seconds. It's time. Uh, just grab on the Yami sword, infuse it with the power slice. And they win. Uh, that was, yeah. Uh, good, good job. It was uh, just under 50 seconds from there the moment go. you uh, noted the time limit. So good job there. There we go. Uh, I like this chapter in concept, uh-huh. but there are a couple of moments that are very small that really disappointed me. Um, the one moment more than any that really bothers me is the sequence where Asta is has his swords knocked away from his hands, and so he has to summon others and once it looks really fluid but the second time he just kind of like draws the sword from his tome and then it's just also gone and that's right where it gets the three seconds so that one's kind of like it really doesn't work but the moment that's really crucial is the one part where yami passes his sword to asta and when that happens i can see the sword in the air and i know what's happening but Yami's toss is really not emphasized enough to me. Uh-huh. And I think for that moment where you've got this very complicated, where dance, we're doing this dance of death, we're coordinating and also randomly attacking this guy. Asa is passing his swords off as he drops them and he gets another one and stuff like that. It really needs to come across very clearly in order to be effective. And it did not for me. And so it was a cool idea that I was ultimately disappointed by the execution of. Um, I really, really would like to have liked this more than I did. I could still dig the chapter in a context generally, um, but I, I absolutely agree. That moment probably could have used a bit more. And honestly, the chapter could have been framed a little bit better around the idea that Dante's like, hey, I got to get these swords away from me. I don't like. 
guess maybe he also specifically knows that it's it's magic nullifying. Yeah, he does. So he's like, I have to get these swords away, otherwise I, I lose. So, you know, knocking the swords away is the crucial thing, and then it's like, hey, toss my sword to you. So I, I still think it's decent, but yeah, it, it could have been a magical moment in this series as opposed to one that's like, solid. Yes. <clears throat> okay, One Piece. Chapter 986, oh. my name. Oh, wait, hold on. Wait, no. What's up? Never mind. What's going on? Oh, no. Oh, you don't have it? You're, you're not going to be able to I can't. I, I can't do it. Oh, I... Sorry. I'm sorry, Chris. You're, you're, you're not with any of your uh... friends right now. You can't be with any of your friends right now. You're, you're just with me. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> um... I will make note of the fact that the uh, gang beige uh, story and the covers of the last several chapters um, pound came across his daughters recently and um, they didn't recognize him. So now since they're on the run from the Navy, they just left him there while they ran away. And so reunion over. (laughs) Yay. Pound got to see his daughters for three seconds. Hey, all your friends are here, Chris. Wait, on. All my friends! What happened to my arm? There it is! It's okay. You can get that arm replaced. It's, it's just it's just shown in. It's because Law's over there, and he keeps yeah, using this devil yeah, fruit to yeah. knock on my stuff. Oh, what, what a prankster that Law is. He's so oh. silly. Practical joker. Um, so this chapter begins very strangely. Um, well, took care of that Conjuro problem. <laughs> He's possibly dead now. <laughs> um, they kicked his ass off screen. He's done. Okay. Um, yep. Got revenge for that betrayal, I guess. Um, there is a whole thing where, um, like, People are remembering the entire group being together and, you know, partying together and stuff like that. And a few members of the Akazai 9 are clearly very upset about this. Raizo is crying openly. I think we can see Okiku crying through her mask, uh, stuff like that. Um, and Kinemon looks regretful that it's come to this. Uh, but it's it's just really weird to be like, he's dead now. <laughs> I would presume he's not actually dead. But at the same time, maybe Yoda's also like, I gotta get some shit taken care of. So it is possible that he is pulling one last, you know, acting gambit to Mm -hmm. uh, try and fool them and catch them off guard for later or just to try and get away. But it is just really weird that we came back to this moment. It's like, huh. Well, I guess that solves that problem. <laughs> done and done. Kinemon and Izo uh, are, you know, brought back together. They clasp hands uh, and they're like, OK, let's let's hurry. We've got a job to do. Uh, we cut back over to Kaido, who is continuing to deliver his decree to everyone saying, hey, join me or fucking die along with Orochi here. And uh, so. Immediately, people start bending the knee, like the former captains of the Obi Wan Shu and Mimawari Gumi uh, are like, yep, yeah, uh, we're with you, Kaido, yeah. And all of their men are like, thank God. Hyogoro <laughs> um, is very upset by this development, of course. Uh, 
we are reminded that, okay, yeah, Nami has been captured along with Carrot. However, Shinobu is still off three. She is jumping around and she's making her way over to Kaido. Uh, and uh, they're like, they kind of bring up the point of like, everyone else in the capital doesn't know what the hell's going on. This is their final n- night of freedom. Uh, Kaido turns to address Momonosuke and he's like, you know, I had this doubt in my mind. How could a little coward like you be the son of Kozugi Odin? And this execution is meant to bring an end to the old Wano. And when I think about it, on that day, 20 years ago in the, in the burning castle, you never answered me when I asked what your name was. So, if you are not the son of Kozugi Odin and Toki, I'll call off this execution and I will apologize for the confusion. So I ask you once more, what is your name? And of course, all of his men are like, ah, look at that Kaido. You know, you, if the kid tells a little a little lie, then he, then he gets to live. So they're like, hey, you know, get, tell, make up a funny name, kid. You know, entertain us all just, just so you will save your life. We cut over to Luffy and Yamato, who are fighting their way through Kaido's men. And uh, Luffy has kind of brought Yamato up to speed on what the hell is going on. And... Uh, then he's like, hey, let me take these cuffs off of you. And then Yamato's like, hey, just to be sure, after you take them off, throw them away. I mean, I don't think they'll explode, but just do it in case. And Luffy is like, all right. And, you know, he uses hockey and crushes the manacles, tosses them off of Yamato's hands. And Yamato's like, yeah, all right, I'm free. Cool. And uh, we cut away at that moment to just kind of do some catch up to where a bunch of people are. We see Usopp and Chopper in the walking tank. Uh, we see the Akazaya 9 rushing through Kaido's men, making their way to Momonosuke. We see Zoro and Kid and Law in the midst of combat and stuff. And then we cut over to Momonosuke again. And we get this sequence of flashbacks from conversations that he's had with his mother, with his father, with Luffy, about the responsibility that he carries, about where his name come came from. And, you know, Luffy's determination, even in the face of horrible defeat, that he wants to be king of the pirates. And Momonosuke declares openly to everyone, Momo is a name that means second to none. My name is Kozuki Momonosuke, the man who will be Shogun of Wano. And everyone is shocked by this and then bursts out laughing because, of course, he's this tiny little kid who poses no threat to them. And so Momonosuke is like, I wanted to be a man worthy of facing you in the the afterlife. And he starts to cry despite this brave declaration because he still thinks that he's going to die. And, you know, he thinks about the regrets that he has this moment. And he's like, I don't want to die. I don't want to cry. And it's shameful for me to do this in front of others. But he can't control himself. Then there's an explosion. Kaboom! A big explosion. (laughs) Like... It does um, look like it towers over Big Bomb, though part of that's also just the scale. Right, right, right. It's a really big explosion for coming from such a small source. And of course, we see Yamato and Luffy go flying away from this. And Yamato's like, that asshole was actually going to kill me. <laughs> so so he says, I no longer think of him as a father. Ah, OK, don't, it only took that much. Good to know. Uh, but uh, then Luffy's like, hang on. Uh, we're not the ones who start this battle. And at that moment, the Akazaya 9 comes storming in right towards uh, Momonosuke's execution perch. 
the headliners all turn towards them. Uh, there's some cool uh, interaction between them with them, like knocking away their weapons. Uh, like Izo does a quick draw and knocks away uh, King's uh, uh, sword and stuff. And then they all come rushing in towards uh, towards Kaido uh, with Denjiro at the front. And Kaido's like, is that you, Kyoshiro? <laughs> Uh, and they just all bum rush him and, and Kaido declares your swords can do nothing to me. But in that moment, he just gets a flash of Odin rushing towards him and they storm into him and start to f- and just force him over the rail. And he starts to fall to the water below with all of them coming down on him all at once. I like this chapter. Uh, I think that it's slow in a couple of places. I think it's weirdly paced because it's again, one of those problems that one piece has occasionally like, there's just a lot going on. And it's like, we got to remind you wherever this person is and where this person is and where this person is. But the big moments that happen in this, I do like, I do like Momonosuke just not really being able to do anything, but he still shows this bravery. And I really like the visual of Kaido being forced over the edge and falling towards his possible defeat. It's, it's a nice way of like, yeah, hey, this is why all these people are here. It's because this guy is huge and they just all push him over. So, uh, I wasn't crazy on this chapter. I'll be honest. Uh, I guess I'm just kind of suffering. Part of me was like, I don't know. Am I in a weird headspace? I don't feel like I am, but I really didn't enjoy a lot of chapters this week. And part of me is like, maybe I'm just in a funky headspace and I don't realize it. I read this chapter and just didn't really feel much of anything. Part of me is just like, it's the inevitability of the notion of like, Kaido's not getting defeated by them. I kind of don't like this uh, notion like, hey, they all showed up. And it's like, yeah, but Kaido's going to either have to whoop their asses or he's going to have to escape and other stuff's going to happen. I, it's just one of those things where I'm just like, when the big climax of the chapter doesn't have me feeling anything, I guess that kind of colors the rest of the chapter as well. So... I just kind of ended up being like, eh, and that's about it. Well, Chris, you're in luck because the last thing we're covering this week is World Trigger. And before this chapter came out, there were some people in our Discord who were like, oh, I've heard great things about these two chapters. And so I'm really looking forward to them coming out. And they might actually like, so World Trigger might actually like replace, uh, you know, X, you know, chapters, my chapter of the week and stuff. And I read them and I was like, Okay. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> look, this this first chapter would be a fantastic chapter if it involved any main characters and didn't follow fucking seven straight years of Rank Wars fights where you're just like, I don't care anymore. I'm sorry, but it's gone. For? Nothing. <laughs> for like pride. B rank. Now we're breaking up. <laughs> it, it would it would be as though I'm trying to think of what like the the proper comparison would be. Cause you know like how uh what's his name? Hayabura from from iShield, the uh, the gecko guy. How like Habashira. So th- there was like a very cool kind of side story to the fact that after he was beaten, he was always trying to kind of redeem himself. And there were small moments where you saw his humanity and some of it. It's it's not about him being the best. It's just the pride of being considered a, a, a real rival to these people. And I could absolutely see a, a moment of uh, Nasu squad being like, this is our chance. We're finally 
doing it together and it's just something you're like yeah i don't i'm sorry but <laughs> you can't it it's kind of like following following an avengers movie with an ant-man movie like immediately where you're just like look i like you but i mean like i had like come on come on you get, you get it right uh so the main things that happen in this, I'll keep it to a bit more of just kind of a cliff's notes than just going through it page by page. Although I will note, uh, Tai Chi shows up in this chapter and I was immediately like, it's you, fuck you. So <laughs> I mean, that I, I, it, I'm not like playing that up. Literally, I saw him and I was like, I recognize that stupid face and that stupid hat. Fuck you. So <laughs> anyway, um, the big thing that happens in this chapter is that Katori, as several people suspected, was going to, you know, use Spider uh, because she learned from her uh, defeat at the hands of Tamakoma 2. And what I do like is that she uses them in a very different way than Osamu does. She uses them much more offensively. Uh, she sets them as like traps and uses them to like fire like spikes into her opponent's legs so that their movement is pinned down as opposed to using like a web to cut them off. And so she uses this as a surprise tactic uh, to take out uh, uh, one of her opponents. Her legs get one of her legs gets blown off. She keeps on moving after that. She goes after Nasu then. Uh, and after she manages to actually take out Nasu uh, with another surprise attack. But after that, she gets taken down. That leaves only two people left. Uh, it's uh, Akane, I think is what people actually call her. Uh, but because she's referred to as Hewer by the announcer. And there is a cool exchange where after that, uh, there were these like charges that were set up ahead of time. So uh, Akane is able to detonate them remotely with her sniper rifle. And so her the last remaining foe has to go all out defense. And so even though Susumi has like one force field around himself and he's got another smaller one to deflect bullets, uh, his attention is divided in so many places that he misses the actual shot that Akane makes, which goes through his stomach. And so the try on loss forces him to bail out. And that gives Nasu squad the overall win, which means that they are slightly edge out Yuba squad and they are in the top tier of B rank for the first time. So hooray. And where does this go? Well, Akane gets reassigned. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, I do like this second chapter that we get, which is chapter 199, because it's some stuff that I hadn't really actively thought about, even though we've gotten hints toward, which is that these squads are always kind of shuffling around, not just in terms of their ranks, but in terms of their personnel, because people decide to retire from from border. People decide to pursue other options. People will get transferred from one division to another based on how well they fit. And so that's we get like some insight into how people have kept in touch because we see, you know, hey, Ubishima, you know, kept took this guy's place after he retired from border. And uh, so this is kind of how they're keeping on. And Obishima, you know, while they have this big reunion, she starts crying because she realizes that she's not strong enough to replace him yet. And so even though she's on her way, she, you know, isn't there yet and she feels frustrated. And so everyone's kind of has to reassure her and stuff. And her captain just tells her, hey, if you feel frustrated, then you can cry, but use those tears to push yourself forward. And it's a nice little moment. And uh, then we get the 
parting of Nasu squad because Akane has been reassigned to another division. And so uh, the rest of her squad is seeing her off as are uh, uh, Kitora and not Kitora, my mistake, Chika and Izuho, her sniper buddies, you know, the only like basically the only other female snipers in this entire division. And so they're wishing her well. And Akane says, I'm going to nominate Izuho to fill my spot because, hey, she's a sniper. She's going to get stronger. And I'm sure that she'll be a great asset. And Izuho really feels weird about doing this. But Akane is like, hey, I'm sure you can do it. And hey, Chika, what do you think? And Chika agrees that Izuho can do it. And Izuho just says, well, how about once I actually make it to B rank, then I'll come to you guys and then we can talk about it. And they're like, all right, sounds good. And everyone's kind of on board with this because they're like, yeah, we feel like you'd fit in. And this will not require us to change our squad formation. Yeah, <laughs> so, like this works out really well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Akane, you know, drives off to her new life. And then we are left at Tamakama to headquarters. Uh, and, uh, he was like, all right, so I guess now we're going to face the away team test. And uh, yeah, but at that moment, Jin says, oh, but first, there's someone we'd like you who'd like to see you to. And like, who's that? End of chapter. Yeah, you know what? It's fine. And I, I do actually really like the moment of Zuho taking over for the sniper spot in Nasu squad. It, it, it's a very fitting thing. And it's it's very nice. I just we get so little world trigger that it's Two like months yeah, since the last that, chapters. That, that it's just <laughs> like I want more. I want to move forward. You you're up on that uh, on that hill next to the wooden fence, wind blowing through your hair. I want more <laughs> world trigger. <laughs> more can it is an algae, I'm also a bodybuilder like the one about Jeff. More so in this fairy tale where you're, you know, you're singing your more song and like the prince comes to see you and you're, uh, oh, oh, and you're like, yeah, nope, you're mine. <laughs> <laughs> That's the manga for this week, everybody. Uh, so we want to thank you guys for joining us for the live broadcast. Chris, what was your favorite chapter? What was your MVP? Uh, MVP this week was Aki. I liked Aki mm. a lot. I think this was a fitting send off. Very sad. But very, very fitting. And uh, my favorite chapter this week was Mashal. I, I, I absolutely adored every moment of it. Great chapter. Awesome. Uh, I am going to go with Chainsaw Man as my overall chapter because, I mean, no series got as big a reaction out of me uh, this week. I have to fully admit that. In terms of my MVP, oh, I mean, it's got to be Elsie. I mean, she's the best. She's so strong. <laughs> she's, she's so strong. cool. She beat. She could beat uh, Valkyrie when she was a baby. And it was her idea to get all the girls naked. So you know, I appreciate that. So you know, that's <laughs> um, MVP this week. Oh, okay. I think this is going to be weird, but it is legit how I feel. And so, in the it. same sense of like. There was no chapter that got a bigger emotional reaction out of me than uh, Chainsaw Man. There was no character that got a bigger reaction out of me this week than um, Mommy from Actage. Because it's like, wow, she's just a mean, uncaring person. So I really like I really dug the build up for her as the antagonist uh, or one of the antagonists of this uh, arc. So 
I'm going to go with her. So. Uh, the audience picked Chainsaw Man as their uh, series of the week and Momonosuke from One Piece as their character of the week then, by the way. He had his, he had his big, brave moment. So. Mm-hmm. And that's going to do it. Let's wrap it up. Thank wrap you, it up. Okay. Yo, this was Weekly Manga Recap, and this is now going to be a rap. And I don't know what to do with a rhyme, but I used to be called Nitra Ruler of Time. And now I just get oh. going, and uh, my rhythm keeps growing. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. No, I'm done. <laughs> I, can only make it, I can only make it through six lines. <laughs> <laughs> you got all you needed. You killed it. It keeps growing, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Whether swinging or spitting, my discipline is unforgiving. Got you backing up in the defensive position. An ass no, kicking an anthem. Heavyweight of man. The hundred weights of right now. <laughs> Teens hit the floor. This is a new fight joint. Like a broken needle, kid, you missing the point. We dominate your offense with offense. It's no nonsense. My theme song hits. Get your reinforcements. All right, that's going to be doing it. Quickly, <laughs> Margarita. Yeah, so I can fit in here. <laughs> With a mic in my hands, I'm a bad man. Even in <laughs> fight with my hands, I'm a bad man. I'm a bad man. If you I'm- have not... Look, you could start it ironically. But you need to listen to John Cena's full album. And by the end of it, you're going to be like, he's okay. Not good. He's okay. <laughs> I, I've to- I've, I, I hold it as a point of pride that there was a kid in my high school year. I was listening to John Cena album... Our CD in my CD player. It was like the last day of school, so we were all just kind of waiting around. And some kid who was really big into rap music was like, "You know what, man? Fuck, can I just hear it? I want to. I want to hear this laugh." And like he listened to a whole bunch of songs and he handed it back. He's like, "That's yeah, all right." Like, but it wasn't <laughs> shitty. He clearly was disappointed that it wasn't as bad as he thought it was right. going to be, and that's the point. Yeah. If you have never seen the music video for "I'm a Bad Man." You you need to watch it. Like is that, is that the eighteen one with bumpy with bumpy knuckles, bumpy knuckles and his cousin. Yeah, uh, it's it's the one that is themed around the A team, mm. uh, and Gary Coleman's in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, moving on from that, we managed to fit in one more wrestling uh, tangent there. That's gonna do it for week manga recap. Thank you guys for joining us. We record the show live on twitch.tv slash RolloT, Wednesdays somewhere between 7 and 8 Eastern Time. Be sure to follow us on Twitter for updates at RolloT, at NickFTime, and the official podcast account at WMR Podcast. You can check out our past episodes of Weekly Manga Recap.podbean.com. And uh, hey, be sure to check out our Discord server. You can use that to keep in contact with the hosts, with all the rest of the audience. Use that to find the Google Doc that NinjaX3i maintains, which keeps track of our recommendations, our past episodes, past audience polls, and all sorts of good stuff. Very informative. Keeps track of stuff that we're up to and have been up to in the past. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. You will have great bonus content for you guys to enjoy. To Steve Mann, our talk artist, who creates... And uh, to Infamous Plant, who creates the uh, visual framework for the podcast. And to Milo Jack Stilitz and Winsdale Cheddar for creating the opening sequence for the Manga Recap. Yeah. That's going to do it. That's it. Goodbye, everybody.